Labi Sifre's uh, Something Inside So Strong. Yeah, and um, this is uh, the fourth of a series of special shows featuring healers who will leave us with tools that we can use to strengthen ourselves during a time when isolation is encouraged, when the soul cries for communion. And, yes, you are tuned in to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program for African Sisters Media Network and Wanda K. Whitaker is going to share with everyone a really wonderful series of African-American virtual town hall sessions that are going to just be really wonderful, and they're free, and uh, and they're kicking off on Thursday, April 2nd, and uh, it's the Bay Area Empowerment Committee is presenting virtual African-American town hall series, and we're so excited that with only what a day's notice she was able to like pull herself away from the planning of these wonderful town halls that I register for every one of them <laughs> to join us to talk about it so um so let me first um let Wanda say hey and then we'll read the rest of her bio and then we can just get right down to it yes Wanda um I I I did it because I believe that it is an urgent time and so uh, because of the urgency, we have to be able to put things away and put things down so that we can be called to a higher order. And I indeed feel that this time, this critical time that we're in, calls for people to come to a higher order. 
and you are right, yeah, and your your organization um anchored in spirit is is um really um you do a whole lot of work, particularly you know around using art and culture you know as as a a method of of healing and and that is just so african centered that particular approach to well-being, spiritual well-being in particular. And you are a certified hypnotherapist, uh, spiritual life coach, and visionary artist. And you're the former owner of a cause-related marketing consultancy agency, Whitaker & Associates, and longtime community activist having served on the board of directors of La Casa de las Madres and Global Exchange, which I think is when we met uh, when you were on the board for Global Exchange. (laughs) Um, Currently, you serve on the board of Create Peace Project an arts education program that promotes peace in schools and communities throughout the world. And your purpose, you write, is to awaken people to their higher selves and greatest potential. And uh, your website is anchoredinspirit.com. So tell us about um, uh, Village Connect and this wonderful series of programming. I mean, it's not just one time, but you know, two hours a week for a month. I mean, that sounds like something that we could actually sort of change of uh, a behavior before it starts, you know, with such intentional um, programming. Well, uh, quite frankly, this came together as a result of one man, uh, one man's vision, mm-hmm. who uh, mm-hmm. is the executive director of Village Connect. Uh, his name is uh, Galen Logan, Jr., and he is the founder and executive director of Village Connect, which is a nonprofit organization based in San Leandro, California. And uh, what uh, Village Connect does is call people together. They're like a convener. Uh, so whether it's individuals, groups of families, they call them together with the mission of building capacity for people to be more self-aware and self-directed. Um, They also coach and mentor individuals with the goal of self-transformation. And so as a result of that, uh, we have all come together as a community, uh, several groups and individuals, just to share some information with the African-American community that, as you know, as a population, uh, we have been disproportionately underserved and socially disadvantaged. We have the higher rate, the highest rate of poverty and um, unemployment, Uh, we have financial difficulties and and, uh, health inequities uh, that just uh, include higher rates of disabilities, infant mortalities, chronic diseases, and uh, lower access to health care. And I think that um, this is probably the worst epidemic, the COVID-19 virus, in 100 years, uh, mm. and there's a lot of this information going on in the African-American community. It's one of the things you may have heard that we were immune from the coronavirus because of the melanin in our skin. Um, this makes the risk even more enormous. And because of our distrust in the healthcare system, a lack of access to quality health care, health insurance, and health providers, it's important that we engage the community in a way that's culturally 
relevant. That's why we're calling this an African-American town hall meeting. Mm -hmm. And so my role in this, as far as Anchored in Spirit is concerned, is because I know as a healthcare practitioner, uh, alternative healthcare practitioner, that there is an emotional origin to all physical uh, physical diseases. It's like the body speaks your subconscious mind, and uh, when stress gets too great, and a lot of people are very anxious, they have they're suffering from anxiety, but it sends us sends us over the top, and the emotional origin for viruses is a feeling of helplessness and helplessness, helplessness and hopelessness. Wow. So when you're worried about financial difficulties or, you know, health challenges, you're worried about the world and relationships, then you can easily contract these, a virus, especially um, influenza. I know uh, Louise Hay, who is an author and spiritual teacher, she wrote in her book, You Can Heal Yourself, that influenza and respiratory illnesses is a response to mass negativity and beliefs and a mm-hmm. fear and belief in statistics. Can you believe that? Mm. Wow. Yeah, I really like Louise Hay. I just, yeah, her book, you know, um, you can hear yourself. It's just so wonderful. I would just look up. You know, sore throat. What is the spiritual root of that, right? And just do those affirmations. This is like, yes. I feel that um, when we understand the history, uh, environment, and um, the origin of these diseases and disease development, we can better cope. We will have the mm-hmm. upper hand. But right now, we, we don't know this. We don't know any of this. Um, if you look back in history, after leaving the, uh, I'll say the hunter-gatherer period, and uh, we had infectious diseases uh, such as nutritional disorders, um, and that's when we had the age of the chronic diseases, you know, like diabetes, asthma, cancer, these types of things started showing up. And we're now transitioning into a new age. Many many people say it's the age of Aquarius, but it's an age in which the air takes over, right? Information Mm -hmm. takes over. Technology takes over. So now you're you're seeing people with uh, neurological diseases, uh, such as Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And just think about it. That's the thing of the mind. (laughs) So during these periods, yeah, we see something new that's that's taking over. But there is a way we can have the upper hand and do something about it. And so uh, that is my role in helping people to heal themselves uh, through the arts and sciences, but, of course, with uh, better knowledge of their bodies and their emotions, they can do something about it immediately. And there are many, many tools one can use to overcome anxiety. Um, first of all, you've got to change the way you're thinking. I know people who look at the news every day. That has to cause their nervous system to go in overdrive. And what does that cause? Stress. It causes high, causes high blood pressure. 
and many other diseases. So just by merely looking at the television, and you can feel it in your body, right? You can feel the fear Mm -hmm. in your body because your body starts, uh, you know, going into overdrive and, and, and you don't feel good, right? Uh, but you, you're still continuously watching the television. Well, you need to turn the TV off or turn it to another program that's going to make you feel good. And once you do that, your body goes back to homostasis and, and that it goes back into balance and you feel a lot better. But actually, we're making each other sicker. Now, if you go back to Louise Hayes, um, underlying uh, uh, response to uh, influenza with this mass negativity. What is happening now? Mass negativity and beliefs of fear and belief and statistics. And they keep showing us statistics of the dead. What should yeah. we do about that? Yeah, that is, that is so true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of, there's a fear of, of death in our society, um, death and dying. Um, we don't necessarily address that in in ways of of you know our indigenous cultures. It's not something to be feared. So it's like, oh my goodness, yeah. That's the greatest fear, right? Mm-hmm. That's the greatest fear. Yeah. Because we don't mm-hmm. talk about this, and it's not death. It's the transitioning. We don't mm-hmm. talk about our this. Our physical body is not who we really are. It's a vehicle that we use to express ourselves, but it's not who we are. We are really much more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. We are made up of several bodies, light bodies, and we move into those light bodies once we depart the body. We go back to the spirit world where we originally came from. But we lost that. Our indigenous cultures know that. We have lost that by urbanizing ourselves in the Western culture. And the further further we get away from that, guess what? The more fearful we become. The Mm -hmm. more sick we become. (laughs) Right? Right. Um, I can go on and on about this. You have to stop me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why don't you... um... Why don't you tell our audience about this series, um, you know, that starts tomorrow. And I want to also remind people that if you haven't responded to um, that little census uh, envelope that came in the mail a while back, today is the day. <laughs> um, and, and I, yeah, and I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that um, I was speaking from experience as opposed to having done it myself. So I just did it before the show. It really is really quick. My friend told me that, oh, it doesn't take long at all. It really doesn't. You're only answering like a series of questions in four different categories, and it's really, really quick. So get counted, folks. Um, But, yeah, yeah, um, tell us about this series. It, it It just looks phenomenal, and I'm really looking forward to the first session tomorrow. Well, uh, we are covering uh, four key areas. Uh, As we looked at what was happening in our community, uh, we wanted to come from a a place of empowerment. And so we looked at the area of economics, health, legal rights, and education. 
A lot of people have a lot of questions around these particular areas. And so we've, we've uh, targeted and identified key people in the community that have vital information um, to provide to our uh, community. And one of them is uh, Sandra Davis. Uh, she's a financial consultant, and she'll be covering economics. Uh, Dr. Tony Jackson, who's with the Bay Area Black Psychologists Association, he'll be covering health. Um, we have Adante Pointer, who's the Associate Attorney in Law Offices of um, John Burris. He'll be covering legal rights and education. Uh, Dr. Amar uh, Sahili, who's the director of the student affairs at San Lorenzo Unified School District. We're all coming together. There's a group of us, uh, including Village Connect, Occur, uh, Repaired Nations, the Bay Area Black Psychologists Association, uh, there's CBMC for Family Counseling, uh, Roots Community Health Center, and, of course, Anchored in Spirit. Mm-hmm. And this will last for about um, two hours. Um, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., and we really want to hear the voices of the people. Uh, There's so many uh, virtual town halls where you really don't hear from the people, right? And there's Mm -hmm. usually the moderator, then you have your panel experts who are talking, uh, like talking heads, but there's nothing else being said. But we want to look at it also from a, psychological standpoint, and that's why uh, Dr. Tony Jackson will be joining us uh, later on uh, in the series. I'll probably be giving some tools for people to overcome anxiety. Mm -hmm. That is a big, big issue. Uh, So it's going to be fun. Um, We're hoping that people get out a lot out of it because we know that we are now returning to back to ourselves. We're turning inward, quite frankly. It's very interesting. Physically, we're, we're moving into the homes with this lockdown. <laughs> and emotionally, we have to move into the mind. We have to go inside to find the answers. We are going now back to God, so to speak, right? We, we have to trust. We have to have faith. And so this this pandemic is teaching us a lot. And it's, it's here for a reason, I believe, because at the end of the day, we're experiencing a new way of being and not doing. And we're really learning how to love again. How about that? How to be tolerant yeah. and to act out of kindness and give with our hearts. Um, and just really how to connect through love uh, loving ourselves first and, and, and then others. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, um, for each one of the weeks, is there, uh, is there like a thematic focus besides the four areas that are going to be covered, or is it like one long conversation, you know, sort of picking up from week to week where, um the community left off? Well, we, uh, we're we going to cover those four areas during the four weeks, but we're going to have different experts talk about these different topics and, and give new information. Um, also, we'll have an open discussion uh, that is inclusive of the community. 
So that's the goal um, to keep with these key uh, subjects and offer new information. Now, some, some of the information may be redundant, but that's okay because you'll have people coming on, some of them who didn't come on the first uh, town hall meeting. Um, but through the uh, different experts that we are identifying, uh, we are, we're going to be coming up with um, new information. The other thing that we're doing is uh, we're uh, conducting a survey and polling people because data is another issue, right? So far, mm-hmm. they're over, what, 140,000 confirmed cases with 2,500 deaths in the U.S., but how many are black? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. We need to be doing our own census. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And, um, and then the whole idea that the tests aren't easy to get because um, there's like um, a friend of mine told me that there's a vetting process, um, you know, before you can get tested because there aren't enough of them. And so you have mm-hmm. to like sort of, if you go into a clinic, let's say, like La Clinica or or even, you know, your your regular place of, of um, you know, like Kaiser Oakland or something like that, um, you you might not you might not get tested depending on what you answer <laughs> when you arrive you know they, you know to see if you have this particular virus so um so there are a lot of people probably walking around um you know uh without symptoms necessarily but having have been exposed that's correct they're asymptomatic and um, that's a big concern because they could be carrying the disease and giving it to others and don't even realize it. And uh, one of my concerns is that they first told everybody don't wear masks if you, yes. uh, right? Now they're changing mm-hmm. it. They're telling everybody <laughs> to wear masks. And mm-hmm. My thing is with the ventilators, if you only have so many ventilators, who's going to get one? Is the poor black man going to get it or is the wealthy mm-hmm. man going to get the ventilator <laughs> so yeah who's going to get the mask the too right because there aren't enough of those gonna around going around either mm-hmm. precisely I am happy to report that in uh, areas like Baby Hunters Point in San Francisco they are testing mm-hmm. so oh, uh, they've been proactive oh, awesome. in making sure that tests gets into the community now yeah, they're still gathering great. there. They're not. They're not respecting the the lockdown because you still see people on the streets in the Bayview. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So what is it yeah. about us that we ignore because we don't trust? Mhm. We get uh, we get false information about us being immune, or we disregard, or we don't care about our lives enough. Mm-hmm. to take precautions. And where is that coming from? That's coming from something deeper that has to be explored. Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure as a, a certified hypnotherapist, you know about helping people go deeper, right, to find answers to this <laughs> question. <laughs> 
Absolutely. It's all about the subconscious mind, having access to that. That's where all the programming is. Programming from this lifetime, past lives, um, and some of this programming that um, has come in uh, to our subconscious from the years of zero to seven. Just imagine how you grew up. Uh, A lot of trauma may have occurred, and then from... Uh, 7 to 14, because every seven years there seems to be something traumatic that happens in one's life. These become emotional patterns, and we have to do something about these emotional patterns. I call them gifts. Our challenges are our gifts because they are teaching us something. We've got to change something. The body speaks your subconscious mind. And so what you're feeling in your body is a result of some emotion that is underlying it. And until we, we change the limited beliefs that cause the emotion, it's going to get bigger and bigger, and that's what causes disease. Hmm. So my job as a hypnotherapist is to uncover that and change those systems, the, the um, patterns emotional patterns. Right. And some come yeah. some come from our ancestral lineage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're passed down generation to generation through epigenetics. So I help people identify identify those as well. Change them. Because mm-hmm. some of them are limited beliefs that don't help us. In fact, they prevent us from being and having what we want in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So will resources, like, for instance, if a person wants to go further with um, and getting some help um, with, uh, like, wants to maybe have some sessions with uh, a therapist or, you know, do something else outside of these um these town halls, will there be an opportunity? Will people be able to, like, access those kind of resources um, to Absolutely. continue and further? Okay, they're healing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good. We're going to have lots of resources for people. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one of the goals, is to make sure that we have valuable resources that, that they can trust and immediately take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. I'm, I myself yeah. will be offering um, sessions that are kind of discounted rate, um, and some free because the goal is to help heal people, help help people heal themselves. Right. And some of these practices people can just take on themselves. Okay. So how do people um, find out about, you know, um, the the, uh, African-American virtual town halls and to be able to register? for, for you know, the one well, coming up tomorrow and the others. We have to um, go to Eventbrite and put in okay. uh, the Bay Area Empowerment Committee. Well, actually, if they just put in the town hall, mm-hmm. they they can be go to a page that should have it. Okay. I don't have the Eventbrite link with me, um, but okay. it's a long link, so <laughs> it's mm-hmm. nothing similar. Yeah. Okay, let me, um, I can, uh, I have it up. (laughs) Let's see. 
it's at the bottom of yeah mhm oh i see it yeah you it see? is long yeah. um yeah the number the number is 1013451239941 and um i'll put a link link on the on the website for it so people can just click it to register um so I just registered, as I mentioned, when we were talking yesterday. I just registered for all of them at the same time. You know, hey, why not? I want to come to all of the town halls. This is going to be so awesome. Because I, um, well, uh, well, I wanted to mention that um, Senator, um, State Senator um, Nancy Skinner um, hosted uh, a um, a tele tele town hall yesterday, and um, it was through uh, Zoom. And it was four to five in the afternoon, and and the link didn't work, and and there was no one in her office to be able to like, okay, your link didn't work. I want to join, and because I wanted to see if the resources that were being offered, you know, around mental health, et cetera, were um, were culturally um, appropriate for all audiences. You know, like was everybody covered? And um, mm-hmm. which would be kind of difficult, but you know who knows. And but I couldn't. I don't know what happened. I mean, we're gonna. I'm gonna get a link, but there was no. There was no live person <laughs> on oh on her God. end. Yeah, to be able to like, if something didn't work, because technology is just that. It's it's a tool. It's not a person. Um, so your um, you know, these these Bay Area Empowerment Committee presentations sound like it's gonna be you know, as humanizing as, as, as it's possible, you know, given, you know, the the distancing circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the challenges we're having, only 100 people can register, and we're already at 80-something, oh. so people oh. have to, if they oh, want to register, no. I would encourage them to do it today. Now, we are, um, there is going to be a Facebook Live, uh, also, oh. we have a Facebook group, uh, so we will be airing it uh, on Facebook. So there mm-hmm. would be there'll be an opportunity for people to um, actually uh, become a part of it, or at least get the information from Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. Wow, there's a limit. Oh man, yeah. Oh gosh. Okay, folks, um, going to event break and look for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, wow. Wow. Okay. Um well I'm glad you're doing the Facebook Live um also. So that's good because so, there's no limit on that, right? No limit on that. Mhm. Yeah. And um people can also <clears throat> go to We do have a Facebook page up as well. So people can mm-hmm. um go to our page. Uh, if they want to make a post or have something to contribute, have a question they want answered, mm-hmm. it makes it easier. Social media has made it very accessible for mm-hmm. everyone to, to take part in something and also be creative. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, so I was wondering um, in our closing moments if you could maybe um, leave our audience with something they can do in this moment to ease ease anxiety. Okay, I'll give them something that they can do. Uh, I would love for everyone to just lay on the floor. 
with the arms to the side. And then take deep breaths, breathing very deeply into the diaphragm and out. Inhaling very deeply and slowly, slow as you can, and breathing out through the nose as slow as you can. And you do this for three to four minutes. And what you'll do is you'll stop at three to four minutes. Try not to even take a breath. Just just sit there, and you'll see that the autonomic nervous system will take over, and you will start breathing automatically. (laughs) And it's something quite phenomenal. But after you do that, you will feel a lot better. Your anxiety will, will leave. That's something simple. Okay. Yeah. Just breathe, huh? <laughs> Just breathing deeply. Yeah. Do you notice people deeply. don't breathe deeply? They breathe yeah, very real short. Mm-hmm. Right, real shallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your yeah. Bl- uh, your body, your blood needs oxygen. That's true. You know, runners, a lot of them breathe in because it keeps them going. But that mm-hmm. is something people can do um, that's very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Right. There are okay. other things, too, um, but I know our time mm-hmm. is limited. But come um, be a part of the series, and you'll learn some of these things as well. Right, Or you yeah. can simply... And- uh, send an email to me. I'd be happy to share information. Mhm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My next guest. Um. He's not in the studio. I have to call him. But um. I don't know if I can call him while you're giving us another tip. But perhaps. <laughs> um. Let's let's try it. Um. Go ahead and give us another tip. Let me see if I can get my other guest in the studio while you do that. Okay. Another tip is a mental tip. So you have to change the way you're thinking, change your thoughts, um, because that's what's creating your reality. When you think about um, making feeling good be the most important thing in your life and staying in the now, then you can change the physiological um, circumstances of, of your situation. In other words, if I am thinking more about good things, things that have maybe happened to me in my past or being appreciative of my life right now and being in the now and making it as beautiful as I can um, and just really stretching that, what you'll find out, what you'll find is that you become more um, relaxed and more at ease and you, you, your body begin, begins to change. You actually start feeling better. It's interesting that uh, this information is also in the Bible. And uh, verses like, um, think on God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto thee. That's what that means. Think about good things and good things will come to you. That's something simple. Change the way you're thinking. Stop looking at television, especially the news. Put on some good music that you love and, you know, be kind. Reach out to people who need reaching out to. 
and uh, loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, really, um, I, I mean, I live in a really walkable town, and so um, it's really beautiful. Yesterday, a friend of mine and I, we did a um, a safe distance walk, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and she had never walked in my neighborhood before, and she was like. Oh, this is so pretty, all the flowers and the trees and the birds chirping. And um and, and I can walk to the beach. And um and so just getting out of the house, you know, is is really lifts my spirits. And um and mm-hmm. I think we talk we were talking, I said, I gotta get out and get some sunshine. <laughs> sunshine you know, um, vitamin D. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, yeah. And and today looks like another pretty day. Um at least when I opened the uh the blinds it looked like it was going to be another pretty day. And it's so interesting, you know, that in the midst of all of this there's beauty. You know, it's like life is continuing. Um you know, the natural, you know, progressions, the natural cycles are still making their their circuit. You know, like still moving along, and I'm like, wow. You can almost forget, you know, if if you don't see anybody, that we are in the midst of this pandemic, and then it's like, oh, then somebody steps off the sidewalk, or you step off the sidewalk, like, oh, yep. I didn't imagine this, but you can imagine other things too. <laughs> yeah, walking in nature is one of the best things that you can do, especially if you mm-hmm. live by an ocean or body of water or you live in nature or by nature, go walk in nature and mm-hmm. by the water if you can, if there are not a lot of people out. We don't want it to be like the beaches in Florida. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Now, people are, are being, being smart because I'm like, oh, I don't want them to shut it down, so don't be stupid people. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And meditating. Meditating is great. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to meditate for 20 minutes or half an hour. You can meditate for five minutes. Clear your chakras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the well, easy have, process. Yeah. We can, have, we can have you on again, um, you know, over this, this month um, and maybe even beyond that, you know, to talk about um, you know, some of, you know, these these strategies and these tools and and you, um, as well as having maybe um, you know try to get um, you know uh, Mr. Galen um, Logan on, you know to talk about you know Village Connect and uh, and some of the other presenters um, you know over over okay. the coming month and months because we're gonna we're gonna be sheltering in place for a minute, not literally but yeah longer than a minute. <laughs> Well, we certainly look forward to doing that. Any way we can help out, Wanda. Oh, you're quite welcome. And my other guest um, is, is in the studio, Dorsey Nunn, uh, Executive Director of Legal Services for Prisoners with Children, to talk to us about the census and also what this or his organization is doing. Um, and I don't know, do you all know each other? Um, Dorsey, do you know Wanda K. Whitaker of Anchored in Spirit? I don't know. Okay, well, I have it's to introduce the two of you. But it is a pleasure to meet you. All righty. Well, you take good care, uh, Wanda. Look forward to the first town hall tomorrow morning, 
And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for the good work. Sure. Thank you for your good work. You're welcome. And getting the messages <laughs> oh, out to the people. Okay. Oh, you're quite <laughs> welcome. You take good care. Okay. Bye-bye. Peace and blessings. Hey, Dorsey, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm, I just joined the call. What was that last interview about? I'm sorry I missed it. Oh, um, well, there are going to be a series of um, African-centered virtual town halls beginning tomorrow, and um, and they're um, going to be every Thursday from 11 to 1 um, over the month of, of April, and they're going to be looking at four areas, economics, health, legal legal rights, and education. And um, and it's free, and um, people go through Eventbrite and put in um, virtual African-American town hall series or something like that, or they can just click on the link in, in the description of this show because I put the link there, and can participate. And then they're going to put them up on their Facebook page. But it's going to be really, really wonderful. And so we were talking about um, just sort of how – you know the team got together to do this um and um and and you know sort of what's going to be covered and and Wanda herself she's um a uh uh certified um uh um hypnotherapist and uh spiritual life coach and an artist and so she was giving us some uh, some tips and some tools that we that the audience could actually use now to help you know address some of the anxieties that people might be living with right now because of the pandemic. Oh, thank you, thank you for telling uh-huh. me that. You know, and I, you know I might yeah, check into it because like you know I'm just laying around the house doing and working from home. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being safe. So, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be safe, you know. Uh, you know, but you know, I do have some concerns, though. You know, because um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, if we already having discussions about uh, not resuscitating people in the hospital, and we already talking about there's a shortage of ventilators. What do we do in mm-hmm. rural areas where prisons are located? When if the mm-hmm. pandemic should happen to split, sweep through one of these major prisons, you know, yeah. will they be taken out? Will you know if they're talking about throwing grandma on the bu- under the bus? Will they necessarily mm-hmm. see any value in anybody that's incarcerated? I know we might free their elderly, but there's still going to be you know thousands and thousands of people in California prisons that's going to be actually uh, 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 in probably real danger because if they will leave us in in, in New Orleans during the Katrina flood or leave us yes. in, in the cells uh, doing a uh, 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 the Loma Prieta earthquake, what makes anybody that's been there or who's currently incarcerated should believe that they are actually going to be concerned about our health. But anyway. And, yeah. And then you think about, about <laughs> you, don't, you, don't have to even, you don't have to even go back that far to Loma Prieta earthquake. You could look at, you know, all of these fires we've had every year, you know, for the past two years, these, you know, these yeah. fires that, and, and in the prisons, you know, that are located, well, actually, all of, I mean, you know, all of California was, you know, being um, uh, impacted by the smoke, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and and people that are, like, in, in, in prison, you know, there's no ventilation anyway. And so all that smoke was, people were living with that smoke. That was a new new air for them, and nothing happened. And then, you know, yesterday, you know, there was this great town hall 
sort of looking at what the prisons look like now, particularly, you know, even people that are like in the um, the medical um, facility in Vacaville, it just looks horrendous. I mean, it's just like, oh, man, you know, the standard of, of living, you know, of people that are inside is just atrocious. And we're talking about people that might be well. And then when you look at people that are already, you know, have immune compromised, um, compromising, you know, illnesses, it's just horrible. Hey, I mean, the you know, the cleanliness is just like uh, crazy. CDCR? Was that the one um, put on by CDCR? Uh-huh, yeah, that was that one. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, because like, you know, and you know, like, and the, the reason that you know I keep trying to ring that bell is because if mm-hmm. we got a media ban inside of institutions, mm-hmm. how do we know what is being put out by CDCR uh, that's been uh, sued uh, repeatedly over inadequate medical care over the course mm-hmm. of the last several decades? If what we're yeah. going to actually hear is true, in the event that mm-hmm. there is a major uh, pandemic hit in the prison, how are we going to know that the count is legitimate since we don't have access to our loved ones or have access in the real way uh, to, the, mm-hmm. to, to the media to go in and interview and actually bring us the same uh, 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 detailed information like, like they bring in out of New York or they bring in out of uh, uh, other uh, impacted areas. So, you know, mm-hmm. there should be some real concern about what is the access of the press to these areas that actually are being um, – uh, there's already in the media ban. So what stifles a media ban when you could have an institution going to a, quarant- a quarantine operation? But I didn't call in about that. <laughs> I in about the <laughs> but, you know, I just was well. th- thought I'd ring that bell one more time. You know, oh, yeah. and keep ringing Definitely. that bell, you know, because at a certain point, uh, 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 I think that you have a, a, a definitely uh, a population that's at risk. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. that, you know, people will choose uh, not uh, connecting grandma to the ventilator as opposed to somebody that's currently locked up. So mm-hmm. that's what, you know, what my concerns are. And I'm not hearing anybody saying we need ventilators to put into. Uh, 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 the population of 2.2 million people. We're not hearing mm-hmm. that as specifically being asked for. So I just thought I'd throw that out there in the mix. But anyway, uh, yeah. So how well, are you well, doing? Before, you know, be, you well, before we, be, oh, I'm good. But before we, um, I mean, I'm sheltering in place, and and the place is good. But before we we shift, um, you know, just want to um, mention, you know, that um, you know there aren't enough tests, so. We don't really know, you know, sort of what the numbers are um, in in the prison because, you know, there's like a vetting kind of, you know, hierarchical kind of kind of process around who gets the test and who doesn't. And then the people that work in the prison are not being tested by the prison. They're being tested by, you know, their private physicians, and then they get the numbers back from that. So there's a lag there, you know, between who has the virus that works there and or who's you know and who and what you know what that looks like so um and then the whole idea they were saying yesterday is that if someone gets sick and needs a ventilator then they will take them out and and send them to the community hospital but you know we've been shutting down hospitals like crazy all over the all over the state right like in the bay area how many hospitals do we have left open right not many 
<laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the world of Kaiser or the Kaiser universe, and then there's the summit, Alta Bates universe, and they keep on trying to close Alta Bates. And, and then, you know, there are the medical hospitals, you know, that don't really serve the public per se, um, like UC has a hospital, but I never hear of it being called into service. So, yeah, we've, we've got a big problem if if their major illness breaks out, you know, within these hidden communities, you know, they're not hidden, but they're hidden. They're like in plain sight, but then they're hidden because they're in these deserts and other kinds of places where small town and you don't have to notice it, you know, like San yeah, Quentin like, is, know, is it, sort it, of it, anomaly. Hmm? Yeah, that's anomaly. But, you know, around Bakersfield, you could have six prisons around Bakersfield. I don't know how many prisons they got around someplace like Stockton. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. you know, so it's like in some of these places they just don't see just one prison there. You could have a compilation of five or six prisons in the area, or you can get mm-hmm. up into terms of places like Pelican Bay. If it mm-hmm. hits there, where do they go? Or Susanville. So you could have some yeah. of these things that's happening a uh, high desert. You know, mm-hmm. there's places yeah. that this thing could could hit that. Uh, uh, and you know, and we know the guards are going to walk it in because they're not going to turn down their paycheck. And if they can actually get uh, emergency pay or overtime to come, they will come with a runny nose, you know, because mm-hmm. the money is good, mm-hmm. you know. So <laughs> I'm sorry to get on that yeah. tangent, but I've just been thinking about that laying up about you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know how blessed I'm personally am, but I'm concerned about my family, friends, and neighbors, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. There's uh 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 there's living in cages. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and more of us need to be concerned about, you know, our neighbors that are living in cages. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, trying to mitigate the harm, you know, by releasing people that don't need to be in those cages. Nobody needs to be in those cages. But some are at higher risk than others for, you know, catching things like this virus and and it's just, you know, unnecessary. Um, we see, you know, as, as you know, some of these county facilities are being emptied out, it's like, well, if they could have been released, why would they release a long time ago, right? Like, why did they have to, like, spend yeah. all this time there? If they could, you could release them now, like, without even blinking an eye, well, then that should be a new policy setting thing. Like, don't incarcerate yeah, so and, much. And, and, and. And, and, and the releases could be undercut by changes uh, by, that, that's being implemented by the Judicial Council. So you used to have uh, 48 hours before they would arraign you or they would have to release you. Suppose you move mm. it back to se- uh, uh, seven days. Mm. Does it, mm. it impact the population of a, of a county jail? You know, suppose your right mm-hmm. to a speedy trial goes from 10 days to 30 days. Does it in, in, impact? Uh, 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 the population of county jails. So you could have, on one hand, seeing the release program, but if people are not paying attention, they may not necessarily see that uh, your right to jury trial, your right to uh, uh, preliminary hearing, and your right to arraignment could all be tampered with and have uh, changes, administrative changes being made uh, by uh, the Judicial Council. And we may not be paying attention to it. And uh, when they start talking about doing these changes, uh, what was the, 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 the span of time that they gave the public to comment on it? It was very, very short before they started taking votes because they, they are actually voting up under emergency measure. And when they're saying what is public comment, 
you know, most of the people are too busy trying to survive this virus to actually comment um, mm. or to even have information that they could comment. How far and wide was that pushed out? So, you know, you, you have these uh, real questions that's being raised, you know, which, you know, uh, 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 and we already know that, you know, we can say, like, you know, what happens in those uh, institutions don't impact us. But then I think that we would be absolutely wrong, you know. You know, like when we called in and we're talking about the census, you know, and if we mm-hmm. were going to look at, you know, uh, when we was counted as a, a, a three-fifths of a human being, it comes out of out of a, a funky count, and uh, 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 that they decided to do to actually the the the, the uh, to divide political power and resources, and the political power they divided it among themselves, slave masters and other people in society. It wasn't like you was having that count that was going to be a real benefit uh, to people that was being maintained in slavery. When they putting us in these cages in these far off places and they having a, a census count. So when I'm talking about maybe those six prisons that surrounding. Uh, a Bakersfield or the, the untold number of people that are being contained in cages that's uh, surrounding places like uh, 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 Stockton, uh, at a certain point, it's about how do you develop uh, a political uh, representation, and it's also about probably each one of those persons or, or is uh, 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 probably worth $2,000 a head. You know, so when they saying that we didn't wasn't worth anything, we worth probably a political power and resources in a real particular way in in the in the uh, 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 agricultural belt in California or in the rural areas in California, and what we were losing uh, in the urban areas where we were from was a, 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 a political representation, and we were were uh, uh, losing uh, uh, access. Uh, to uh, 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 billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars that was being divided up by the nation. And if that's the case, school remained poor. In the event that we need uh, hospitals, hospitals and in, in its development is based on, in part, a census count. In the event that you get a supermarket in your store, and if I was to build a supermarket in your store, probably the first thing that I would look at is how many people live in your neighborhood. And if you're being undercounted, you might be uh, 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 being subject to uh, 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 food shortages or the access to get fresh vegetables. So all of those things are important in the census count. So like before the virus hit, uh, we had started to develop a strategy, and the people that we wanted to count was, you know, fundamentally was formerly incarcerated people where the count ain't never been to their benefit, you know. And we wanted to go out there and convince people who were living in the shadows because at a certain point, if you're paroling to a, 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 a urban area and your family is living in, in, in public housing, most likely your name is not on the lease. And most likely they didn't, didn't, didn't probably – uh, 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 made people feel fundamentally threatened that if your presence is there, that they could be evicted from public housing. You might not never make the census count. You know, you might not never make the census counts in places that you're not on the lease or you're not there. You might not make the census count uh, if you stand in homeless encampments and, and, and somebody comes and say, I want to count you. It could feel quite familiar that the count felt like in the prison. You can count us all day long. What benefit is it to me? You know, what benefit it is to be counted that way? So, you know, who goes out and actually encourage people to step forward 
that say that your count, if your count didn't matter in prison, certainly when you're on the streets, your count should matter to the community that you're from because where you cage is not where you actually live in your heart and in your mind. So, like, I ain't never met anybody say, man, where you from? I'm from San Quentin. They generally say I'm from Oakland or the city that they're from or the neighborhood that mm-hmm. they're from or the family that they're associated. They ain't never said, like, you know, I belong to Master Charlie or I belong to the CDCR, <laughs> you know, no matter where I was incarcerated. So, like, when we talk about this census thing, who targets that group to actually make them feel like what they are is of value to their neighborhoods, to their communities, and to their children, because those dollars that's going to be, be trickled down from whatever source, the federal government on down, actually determine what we're going to do about the schools, what we're going to do about the politics, and what we're going to do about the, mass, uh, the massive amount of money passing through the county and the state. How you doing, Wanda? Good morning. <laughs> uh, it's always good to talk to you, Dorothy. Good morning. <laughs> Whoa, you wake up hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is um, yeah. It's really important. You know, I hadn't even thought about that because you know they do count our folks inside in the prisons. You know, they they count yeah, them. Yeah, this often. is the last decade where they're going to be able to get away with prison gerrymandering in the state of California. But this count is going to mm-hmm. last for ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean what you, know, you just said about gerrymandering? Prison gerrymandering is when they take that count of, uh, of of all those people that are in cages in all of these places. They're mm-hmm. being counted as being a part of the county where they're being incarcerated at. Oh. So, you know, like if I'm from Oakland and uh, and my and my body is worth two thousand dollars in account to determine uh, 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 political lines uh, or a political representation, or 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 it means uh, that resources are going to be issued to that county based on uh, 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 my being from that county. When they remove me and, and, and ship me to the middle of nowhere, high desert, Pelican Bay, mm-hmm. uh, 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 San Quentin or any of these other institutions, uh, that that count where I'm at uh, impacts how much resources are going to be left in Oakland, how many resources are going to be left in Watts, how many uh, uh, resources are going to be left in South Central, uh, San Diego, wherever they remove me from, and then suddenly uh, those dollars are going to be divided uh, for people in, in, in uh, 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 uh what Merced County, uh, Lake County, uh, 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 Fairfield, uh, <laughs> Bakersfield, you know, and that's not who sends the bulk of people to prison. We're generally coming in from uh, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, and San Diego, you know. So the disproportionate way that we are incarcerated from certain areas is having an impact both uh, uh, financially for uh, what a person uh, is being counted for in terms of the resources that uh, each one of those uh, individuals are generating when they do a head count. And it also represents what the, the, the political uh, distribution, the political distribution as it relates to the state and as it relates to how people are represented in terms of uh, uh, the city council and other stuff. 
So it's not just, a, you know, we count you for the fun of seeing just how many people we have. We count you for a purpose to actually split up money and actually split up political representation and to actually make sure that those counts actually are determining uh, for uh, private developers what they're going to do in the city that you're, you're being counted in. So if uh, we absent a whole bunch of counts, uh, large counts, uh, are we going to actually uh, get the housing tracks that we need to be developed? Are we going to get the, the supermarkets that we need to be services? Are we going to get the healthcare clinics that we need in the areas where uh, we're from or we being um, uh, where we live as opposed to where we cage? Or the, 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 the places where we're being caged is getting the benefit of the count and the places where our children live is not or not. So, um, that's what I mean by, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so, you like, you know, like uh, at Legal Services Prisons with Children and All of Us and None, we started engaging and started looking for our folks and going knocking on doors initially uh, to tell people in the event that you got somebody living uh, in your house like Dorsey, Pookie, Ray Ray, or whoever, Tell them it might be to the benefit to be counted because if they want their kids to have uh, schools to be uh, better funded, it means that. In the event that they want uh, better health care, it means that. In the event that they want political represent- representation, it means that. As opposed to we're going to continue to be counted and the only interest that it serves is MAFA because that's what it served uh, when they called us three-fifths of a human being. And that's what it means when they're counting us and it's uh, politically, uh, when it's prison gerrymandering, it means that the county that you're from uh, gets a whole bunch of resources and the county, I mean, the county where you're being uh, engaged gets a whole bu- a bunch of resources and the county in which your heart and your mind actually live is being denied access to those resources generated by the census count. Ah, yeah, yeah. So and you're probably right, what too, because, like, you know, when you call me, you woke me up. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I do wake up hot. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. I mean, it's I like, know, I never yeah, thought about I mean, like, you know, maybe, it's maybe like I'm you a nerve-wracking brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably a nerve-wracking brother. Somebody wake me up, you want to talk too much. <laughs> I need coffee. <laughs> I never thought about that I wake up hot, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, just like... You know, just sort of like continuing the conversation that we had yesterday, right? It's like it's all one stream. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but it's it's real important, you know, that that you have that kind of energy because um, there are so many people that we never hear from, right? I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many people that we don't hear from, people don't think about yet. You know, our folks are with us, you know, in so many ways. You know, if you drive a car, you know, it might be the license plate on your car. You know, in your office, it could be the furniture. You know, um, if you're doing telecommunications, it could be some of those parts that are being manufactured somewhere. Um, you know, we think about sort of this this industry, you know, fueled hey, you by know, people. Hey, you know, it's other stuff that, 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 that I think that uh, we probably need to really ask ourselves as black people, are we scared of each other, independent of the virus? Mm. Mm. Oh. Independent of the virus, because some people are not opening the doors when you're knocking on their doors thinking that it's mm-hmm. the virus, right? Mm-hmm. Would they mm-hmm. open those doors in the event that there was not a virus? Mm-hmm. 
because th- those are the kind of questions that are way, you know, and and it may be we're afraid of black men mm-hmm. because we can get an absolutely different response if a woman knocks on that door, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, mm-hmm. so the people that was out there doing the census count that was going door to door, they start raising these issues uh, 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 in relationship to the organizing we was doing to get out the census count. So we might need to say, you know, you know, not only are, you know, the white community is afraid of black men, are we mm-hmm. afraid of each other? Mm-hmm. You know, so if somebody shows up and knocks on your door and you don't know it, or two brothers shows up knocking on your door and you don't know them, do you answer the door or, or do you just peek out the hole and play like you're not there? You know, and, uh, 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 you know, and, and we start thinking about, well, maybe if we throw a concert in the park, it would be easier to count them and they'd be welcome. But, mm-hmm. we, you know, we couldn't do that as a result of uh, 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 COVID-19. Right, yeah. You know, so we start thinking about, you know, how do we offset uh, uh, the massive level of fear? And some of that fear is is not necessarily driven by pandemic. It's driven by uh, the social conditioning that we exist in, the social context, as opposed to uh, the health context. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like all of these things, I think that, you know, um, maybe while we in the middle of uh, 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 this pandemic, it'll give us time enough to actually uh, do deeper reflection because sometimes we're so engaged on how do we actually meet the day-to-day bills that we don't sit down and say, where are we politically, where are we at socially, and what do we mean to each other? And some mm-hmm. parts of this census count is a question of what do we mean to each other? You know, am I willing to make sure, even if I'm being counted in in in, in, uh, uh, in a a homeless uh, a camp, does it mean that I still care about uh, people who uh, I'm not living with? And what happens when, uh, for years and years and years, uh, they made people who lived uh, uh, in public housing feel threatened to have anybody that was convicted of a crime living with them? Mm-hmm. Right. You know. And what happens when that message is not only uh, uh, provided to people who are on the lease, but that information is equally provided to people who actually care about people who got housing and they don't. They may not come home. They may choose to run the street. They, you know, so we're not even measuring what impact does it mean. If I go and uh, my kids and, 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 the person and, and, and the person that I have been involved with, if I go and, and stay there, do I represent a threat? And do I make a different choice about how do I live my life and where do I live my life? Mm-hmm. Those are all things that need to be considered in this mix. Mm-hmm. You know, but, yeah. you know. And if I'm not there, then who in the hell is counting me so I can actually uh, have some weight to actually show that I do care about the kids' school and I do care about the clinics in the community. And if they bit, bit, been, if uh, uh, building a grocery store where we need fresh vegetables, I need to make sure that we're not having a, a, a vegetable drought in the neighborhood that, that I actually care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you saying you know? that now – um, like, for instance, when people fill out the census, because people actually can fill out, fill out the census forms 
at the prison, um, I don't know how easy it is to get the forms, and I don't know if, like, voter registration, oh, 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 I don't you know, think it's something. going to get the form. And I think this year is the last year of ger- gerrymandering. So we was trying to offset the numbers that we were losing of people who were, were in count, incarcerated by counting mm-hmm. people who are formerly incarcerated that's on the street. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to take a mm-hmm. census count, and uh, 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 this census count, uh, everybody that's in Vacaville will probably be living mm-hmm. in Fairfield. Mm-hmm. And Fairfield okay. get the benefit of the dollars of those head counts. So when they say you ain't mm-hmm. worth nothing, you're worth a couple G's probably a year. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to the county that, yeah. that that got there, you know, uh, and you can improve uh, 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 their sewer system. You can improve uh, 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 their water plant. You can improve their hospital. You can improve a whole bunch of other stuff. What won't be improved is the, uh, uh, a place like Oakland got potholes in every street. Mm-hmm. You know, so you might not be you 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 your count there may not necessarily mean. That we got the resources to actually to make sure that the uh, the streets in which uh, you dream about while you're incarcerated is being cared for to the degree uh, and being resourced to be repaired. You know, mm-hmm. and it may not mean that as a result of us not being counted, the people that we send to Washington D.C. to represent us may not may be fewer of them, and it may mean that right. the people that we send in. Uh, from my area to be represented in the state capitol could mean something. And it may mean uh, as a result of the census count and everybody else being counted in a different way that's not sacrificing so many people to uh, the prison industrial complex that their community will constantly be better resourced, uh, better counted, and uh, get more action and, and more uh, 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 get more say-so in the political landscape that we all live. Right. Yeah. God, I'm sounding like yeah. an alarmist, ain't I? <laughs> I'm sorry, girl. No, he's just giving, you know. giving us the, the truth. I mean, this, it is, this is what's going on. And how many times do people, like, actually have an opportunity to be able to, you know, be able to sort of take an account and, and hear what's happening to a constituency that we, um, um, you know, we don't, we don't hear, hear about enough. Um, Definitely don't hear about enough. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, yeah, you know, tell us, tell us they, the truth. You know, tell us what we need to know. To determine, if they're using the census to count, determine uh, uh, housing tracts, supermarkets, schools, uh, healthcare centers, and in, in, in the politics, we definitely need to be lining up for that stuff on the street and saying we need, you know, we need more housing than open. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know. Uh, because I think there's two ways that you can uh, 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 offset gentrification is build below market rate housing, you know, because I think they, mm-hmm. they're doing more than just asking how many people in your household. They're asking of the questions attached to that census. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, because like when they say, you know, you know, you know, and by the way, I can, I can tell you uh, mm. what we did was uh, at one point we set up a, a a computer at, at at the at the Movement and Freedom Center for people who didn't have addresses that could stop by and actually register to be counted. Mm-hmm. Because we felt like somebody needs to say, "All right, throw open the doors, homie. We're going to help you navigate this space so you can be counted." Right. You know. 
and because I think that uh, 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 the count is so uh, fundamentally important to marginalized communities, we should make sure everybody's counted. Mm-hmm, definitely, definitely, yeah. You know, and even so, if it only um, means that they don't, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead and finish your thought, even if it only means. Yeah, even if it, it, it only means that politicians still only come around every four years. At least they come around, but if they don't think that we're there, they won't even come around that once every four years. Right, yeah. So um, I know the Freedom of Movement Center, you know, at 4400 um, Market Street um, uh, was uh, was open because it provides vital services, but um, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if it's open. Like, if it's open anymore, um, is it? No, you know, you like, you know, like, uh, all the way until we hit this virus. I was, you know, because like, I'm the executive director of legal services for prisons for children, and you know, and I had been right. like struggling with, you know, do I do I really want to do a work at home uh, policy prior to the to mm-hmm. the virus? When the virus hit, mm-hmm. it's like hell yeah, y'all go work at home, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, and but. But, the, you know, the interesting thing is that at certain points, staff were saying, we need to develop a work-at-home policy. The first time I told mm-hmm. them to go home and work at home, 10 of them still showed up to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have to go back and emphasize, <laughs> y'all need to work at home, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what, you know. So I think that what was driving that is the passion for the people. They felt mm-hmm. like they still had work to do that they felt like was important for this population. You know, right? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, and every once in a while, I still got to drive in and do stuff like check the mail. I got to drive in and make sure that the bills is paid and stuff like that. And while I'm there, mm-hmm. I can see people walking through there, uh, grabbing something, and going home. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so we still right. doing stuff like, uh, uh, you know, uh, we in the middle of uh, getting ready uh, to do uh, doing census work. Then the coronavirus hit. And so we wrote manuals about the coronavirus, virus. And then we sent them in about, you know, washing your hands, staying clean. If you're over a certain age, ask them to release you. We started doing, uh, you know, that work couldn't stop. So people, you know, uh, 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 was at the office and they needed to print labels and stuff like that. Because, like, you know, everybody ain't got that uh, high level of technology in the individual uh, office space at home. I know I ain't mm-hmm. got a print. I, you know, I got a printer, but I ain't got you know mm-hmm. a copier and all the rest of that stuff here. You know, mm-hmm. so every once in a while, so you know, we have to make out a schedule, uh, so we wouldn't necessarily viol- violate uh, the social distancing about who can use the office and when can you use the office, so we can keep track, so we wouldn't run into mm-hmm. each other. Right. You know. Right. And what yeah. the hell? I wish some people would stop buying up all of the. the uh, Sanitary nap, uh, sanitary hand wipes, and and uh, all of the stuff, so we can have some of that stuff. You know, we got bottles laying around the office, but sooner or later, you know, uh, we got to stop running up on uh, things necessarily to stay healthy and clean. Took me at least like uh, probably a whole week to get toilet paper, and I still haven't found oh, out. Man. And I got hand really? wipes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I've been week, looking for hand week, wipes yeah. for over a month. I can't find any anywhere. Every time I, because I don't have Costco, and so every time I I go to the store, Safeway's shelves are always empty. Target shelves well, are always know, I, empty. You know, I bought a case of thing before, like the virus got before everybody went on uh, lockdown, and we haven't even, you know, like because uh, uh, we're getting ready to produce uh, 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 the All of Us in the newspaper that we're putting out. So people are putting oh, in good work even nice. when they, 
you know, so that should hit, you know. I think it should be going to the printer uh, mm-hmm. by uh, Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, you know, so it's like inside of uh, uh, the newspaper, we, we're talking about uh, uh, COVID-19, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, and, and naturally it could be dated because between the time of the writing and the time of the printing could it be a period of time we're going to make it as close as you know possible with numbers that we have, you know. So like mm-hmm. while you're on the phone, they probably should have told you about you know 18 to 19 correctional guards inside of the state prison have been found to be test positive on the phone mm-hmm. call, and that wasn't on the phone call. Uh, on the phone mm-hmm. call, they should probably told you probably uh five or six prisoners have been tested positive within the California mm. Department of Corrections. Mm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm following that, who else in the community is following that? Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, yeah. you know, cause yeah. that's one of those questions. Mm-hmm. If we're not mm-hmm. functioning, mm-hmm. who's posted up? Who's who's actually uh, 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 making sure uh, that uh, we're watching these things. We watching. We watching. You know, and 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 mm-hmm. and, and and who's going to have the information? So when we actually uh, get into a full state uh, uh, state of um, alarm, where do we ring the bell? And can will people be willing, or can they hear the bell? Is if all the hospital beds are already filled and everybody got a ventilator and they're going to surrender that shit. You know, mm-hmm. and when we got a president saying that we can expect hundred thousand people to die on a good day, are we being fitted into the equation of being worthy of uh, access to the ventilator, or are we counted in that hundred thousand? You know, but like I said, I just yeah. came to talk about the census, not to alarm anybody <laughs> else and listening to you. <laughs> But I keep going back there because, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I keep going back there because, like, what the fuck? Excuse my language. I'm always thinking about, like, this population, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. And, and thinking about this population, the other question is, is that when you got these task force and you got these groups, who is sitting on those groups, on the task mm-hmm. force that's actually adding input? Or they're formerly incarcerated people at the table, because I know what it feels like to be in the prison and see that stuff rolling through. And I, you know, mm-hmm. and all the way until I did, uh, uh, you know, I think I had been home at least ten years before I started asking myself, what does the census mean to me out here? Mm-hmm. You know, and I was home ten years before I even asked that question. Mm-hmm. So, who among us is going to go out? To our brothers and our sisters said it means this. You know, where is that message going to be carried that that, that, that makes a difference, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, you know, some people say, like, you know, hey, you know, like, you know, my vote don't matter. You know, if they can say that, they can say, shit, the census don't matter. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, this is a big you know, year. Um, you know, the census, we've got a presidential election, and then we have, you know, this virus. Like, oh, my goodness. You know. Yeah, school. Mm-hmm. You know, just in this election season, formerly incarcerated did something uh, 
that that that, that we hadn't did before. Uh, we held a presidential forum, and we uh, went mm-hmm. to a, a old a old prison, and I think it was uh, Philadelphia, the Mid Eastern uh, a prison. That's a museum, and uh, and and an audience. We helped bring an audience in, and I think we we talked to Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, and uh, Tom Stiers when they all was 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 candidates. Mm-hmm. But what was equally important was that that nobody could see and most people didn't know was that uh when we had a live stream there was a quarter million of us listening to, looking at the live stream you know so right now uh if anybody can hear me that know Gavin Newsom and the governor of the state of California tell him mm-hmm. that all of us anon would like him to live stream uh, uh what he's going to do about people in cages that's facing this deadly uh pandemic and what is he going to do? And if he if he continues to say, well, we're not we're not sending, because that's one of the things they probably should have told you on their phone is that they're not accepting new emissions. Uh, mm. jails that's charged with minor crimes, and uh, and in on a good day they probably in the in CDCR they can reduce that population by maybe ten percent. Uh, and they're already uh, generally operating at a, at a capacity of 137%. That means that they're still probably 27% uh, over capacity. How do you socially isolate in that situation? Hmm. And will they share the ventilators? So if anybody knows Gavin Newsom that's listening to this thing, tell them Dorsey would like to spend some money and do a live stream uh, and hold a town hall with Gavin Newsom organized by formerly incarcerated because those people belong to my community. Mhm. Right. God, yeah. you wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was having a good dream. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I was man, free and I was jumping through flowers and stuff before you called. <laughs> oh man! Wow, that sounds lovely. Uh, yeah, Dorothy, why don't you let oh, people was, know? You know? I was free and everything in my dream. I wake up and it's like, whoa! It's time to get busy. <laughs> Yeah. So why don't you let our audience know how they can uh, find out more about, you know, um, legal services for prisoners with children and, and all of us are none and uh, be able to, um, you know, support some of the uh, the new work that's going on, like, for instance, um, you know, helping people out with these, um, these stipends um, or gift cards um, that I think you, see how many said you gave, a, you gave, I don't know, a lot of them um, recently, $100 gift cards for some people that are struggling. Uh, you know, um, and, you know, if we get some more money, we'll do it again. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the things that we did, I think that we gave away uh, probably, uh, I don't know, $35,000 worth of $100 gift cards. And we was targeting families of incarcerated people and formerly incarcerated people, you know. Mm. Uh, and if we raise some more money, because, like, you know, like when people ask me, all right, you got legal services for prisoners with children, and you got all of us and none, what makes you distinctive from other public interest law offices? Is that we actually committed mm. to the people we serve because the people that we serve is us. Mm-hmm. So when the virus hit, we figured like you know, do we got any any do we got any money where we you know uh, that we can give back to the community because like 
you can you can repeatedly see in us doing this stuff. You can see it when we do the community give back too, where we say it's is 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 uh, the season. Let's go out and buy kids new bicycles. Mm-hmm. Or we get hit the virus. Let's make sure that you know homies coming home. We can at least have a couple chickens and and go shop for some uh, sanitary hand wipes and 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 get some of the stuff that they need. And uh and so we set it up on our website. So you know like. Uh, from time to time, people should just go to our website uh, at uh, prisonswithchildren.org and, and look around and see what's there. Because sometimes we reaching out to the community by driving them to the website, and on that website you can go to All of Us or None and a whole bunch of other stuff. So it's www.prisonswithchildren.org. You know, and you know, so the people who didn't show up on the website or who didn't get uh, that wasn't on our list, so we can do the hustle and send you a text message. Go here. We might got a few resources that we can put back into the community because we feel like you know our job and our commitment is to the community. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you know, in the event that they release a whole bunch of people from prison. I sort of assumed that somebody's going to stop by that I was in prison with or a relative that I had never been in prison with, and they're going to stop by my house and ask me, could they sit on the couch? Do I got anything to eat? And can I give them a loan until they get on their feet? Hmm. So I don't know if these other people who work in these other big organizations or these big foundations, if anybody is going to be sitting in their living room when they get out because they probably only know them as clients. I know them as my neighbors, my friends, and my family, which is a whole different mm-hmm. relationship to that population. So right. uh, my, uh, if you want to catch up and see what we're doing at Legal Services for Prisoners with Children and All of Us are None, uh, you can go www.prisonerswithchildren.org. And if you're fortunate enough uh, to be able to uh, cure uh, or email uh uh, uh, plug in because, you know, we're getting ready to start producing our own papers because at a certain point, we need to take care of ourselves, you know. <laughs> I can't expect, you know, you know, at a certain point, well, why are you producing a, a, another newspaper? Well, you know, at least I know that we're interviewing people that, you know, remotely can talk to me. <laughs> and they got interesting things to say that's in my community. So we need to produce our own newspaper. We need to produce our own radio programs. So I, I really love hearing you uh, 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 do this blog. Mm-hmm. So when I'm asking you a question, what did I miss? Right? I knew you <laughs> was going to feed me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew you was going to feed me. You know what I'm saying? You know, I knew it was something important that I missed. <laughs> you know, so like even if I don't hear you and I show, what you talk about? Tell me, you know. Lace me up. <laughs> you know, so it's not everybody, you know, that, you know, some people, you know, and I'm a news junkie. You know, so I, I want to know, but for uh, 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 for special populations that got uh, uh, information targeted to them, I really want to know, you know. And I know I probably need to be figuring out how to shut down for five or ten minutes, how to breathe how to actually get clear my head because, like, uh, probably over the course of this interview, I've been cursed three times, so I know I can get emotional about uh, what I think about. And when I get really emotional, then, I, you know, it's almost like uh, uh, when, I, when I hit my hand with a hammer, I don't necessarily say, 
gosh darn it, I generally say something a lot more stronger. You know, so anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's always, always really that's my good apology. to talk That's to my you. apology for cussing on your show. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but if you're going to ask me to open up my heart, you could get some, like, real emotions jumping out there at you. <laughs> you might not be anticipating it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's always good good to talk to you, uh, Dorsey. Um <laughs> yeah, um yeah, your organization, um yeah, where I'm a a board member, um, who's looking to get more active, um, you know, really, really appreciates the good work um and all of the um organizations that um that you have uh, you know, started and, and that um legal services for prisons with children is you know, now the fiscal sponsor, like the California Coalition for Women Prisoners, which is having its 25th anniversary year this year, and doing a lot of a lot of great work, and operates out of the Movement Center, along with, you know, all of us or none, and yeah, yeah, just doing some great work. You California know, with, Prison yeah. Focus. You know, it's like like some mm-hmm. parts of it. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, like somebody yeah. asked me. You know, I feel um, extremely blessed. Um, to have been able to live the life that I, I lived because I didn't got to do a whole bunch of stuff that other people uh, think they may want to do when they're in prison. I didn't actually got out here and actually did the stuff. So, you know, so I know that I'm blessed. And, you know, and I can remember being in, in, in Havana, Cuba, and uh, talking to Asada, and she told me something. And, you know, sometimes people can tell you something, and it may not resonate with you at the point that they tell it, almost like a lot of us that didn't listen to our moms that we wished that we had of when we sit in the prison cell. We said, oh, damn, I'm sorry I missed that lesson, you know. So Asada told me something when I was in Cuba, and uh, and I didn't really know. And then she told me that uh, the revolution did more for her than she did for the revolution. And I can say that I've been at this over 38 years, and I can say the movement did more for me than I did for the movement. Hmm. It gave me hopes, mm-hmm. dreams, and the direction to, to actually live in in a space, uh, a way to walk in my life. Uh, so I don't know what it did for other people's. And I do probably try to do a lot for other people's, but it's, it also does something for me. So it's like mm-hmm. when we was giving away uh, 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 the gift cards, uh, I told uh, uh, Hamdia uh, to include other people uh, that has the ability to actually call people and say, like, uh, we're going to award you a $100 gift card. The reason I did that was that often you working in this field, you very seldom ever get to hear somebody tell you thank you. You're just working. Mm-hmm because you're working because it's it's the right thing to do and you're not working for people like uh uh to be grateful but every once in a while it feels good to have a younger organizer that say man I've been at this man you know and I can't get the car dreamed about but you know I think I'm doing the right thing it's nice to have them be able to call somebody and say I'm going to give you a 100 dollar gift card you know so the person receiving the gift card says really of benefit the person mm-hmm. who's given the gift card might get a chance saying that it's benefit to them because you can inspire them to go another day and to help another person. Right, 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm really I'm really looking forward to um, you know, when uh there there's some, you know, housing connected to the movement center because you're buying you're you're in negotiation to buy a building, right? An apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you, know, you know, like I ask the, I like to ask the obvious questions. Why do some of my homies look more healthier in prison than they do on the street? We can do something about that. We really can do something about that, you know. And you know, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and you know, and as I get up in age, you know, cause like you know, one of the reasons I probably should tell people don't come to work is because I'm in that vulnerable class that they talk about. You know, mm-hmm. don't come to work. Don't don't give me no germs. I want to live. <laughs> but, <laughs> go home. You know, I need to be here right now. You know what I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, but but the, the other part of it is, is that you know. I'm trying to put in as much work as I possibly can and leave uh and uh and uh leave uh things established so younger organizers can come through and have a place to set, a place to rest and a place to do organizing from when I sit down mm-hmm. and uh get to do stuff like just like all day fish or watch T V or do stuff like that. I haven't watched this much T V probably in like the last twenty years. Last time I watched this much T V I was in prison on lockdown. And nobody ever mm-hmm. talk think about like what does it mean to all of us out here that you keep describing this uh, uh, the remedy uh, the flatten the line the pandemic line as lockdown and isolation because mm-hmm. for uh, uh, for probably two weeks I couldn't pronounce the name uh, uh, coronavirus or COVID nineteen and I knew I knew how to read it but I mm-hmm. thought you know what came through the gate with me is the trauma. So every time they was describing what we needed to do and describing to use those terms, it would trigger trauma. So like, you know, and, you know, so at one point I'm calling it, I'm not even calling it the coronavirus. I'm calling it the cognac virus. Uh, <clears throat> I'm calling it different names because I was, tra- I was traumatized and I couldn't necessarily ever think about what it was that we were, that was there, you know, until, you know, Humdi and other comrades started saying, you know, like you keep mispronouncing uh, the most deadliest disease that mankind didn't knew in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And then one day, I'm, I'm you know, uh, late in one night, I'm trying to get around cable news, and what I'm then I start evaluating. I'm a critical thinker. Why can't I say this name? And it wasn't mm-hmm. the name that I was like being triggered by. It was the lang- It was the language. Lockdown in uh, isolation. Mm-hmm. Lockdown is something right. they did to us when there was uh, racial disturbances in the pen. Isolation is what they did to some of us as a result of being um, uh, too influential in the pen, uh, being a part of a racial group or something like that, and then they would put us in the hole, and that was the isolation part of the stuff. So, like, all this thing, they describing it in language, you know, so, like, you know, uh, when I say it took me a week to find the, the toilet paper, right, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, how do I get to the canteen in the middle of a lockdown? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we don't have canteen out here. We have grocery stores. So I started describing, the, you know, my responses was in the language of uh, what was uh, attached to the terms that they were using. Right. Yeah. Wow. This Once is again. so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> My, my again, next guest are in the studio, uh, I, uh, Dorsey. Yeah, you can find us at www.prisonerswithchildren.org. 
and uh, one that's been nice talking to you this morning. And I'm going to try yeah. to get back to that dream where I was dancing through the fields, you know, having that <laughs> moment, you know, with nature, you know, as opposed to mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of a struggle for my life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Take care, All Wanda. Right. You too. Right, Thank bye-bye. you, Dorothy. All right. Peace okay. and blessings. <laughs> oh, Wow. Uh, thank you so much, Tajmal and Oshala, for hanging in there. Great to have you on the show. No problem. No problem at all. Thank I you. Wanna, that was great. Yeah. It was great to hear the, the last, uh, uh, great to hear that interview. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was so interesting what Dorsey was saying about how how language can both free and trap us, right? Like how just the way that something was um was was articulated had such a devastating effect on him and the and the ones that were articulating it didn't even think about how it was gonna land, right? You know, the whole thing around social distancing, like we don't have to distance socially and you notice how the governor has changed that when someone mentioned that we're just we're putting physical distance between each other. Not we're not isolating. You know, that that wasn't the intention, you know, to cut yourself off emotionally and spiritually, you know, um, and intellectually from other people. It was just to put some physical space between you and another person. But, wow, that was like, I'm still, wow, that was so interesting. And, and it sort of folds so well, you know, into our, our, our discussion that we're going to be having, you know, with the two of you um, around um, around your um, your homeless forest coalition movement, um, you know, Taj, that that you um, have developed, and and around your wellness, the wellness center, um, you know, um, uh, Oshala, you know that that you are are managing. Um, is that what you told me? That your role is? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Create creating creating and. Uh, we're the visionaries and the managing directors. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so Taj, let me let me read this really beautiful um, bio that you wrote for me yesterday, and and then we'll talk first about the um, this movement, and uh, and you could talk about you know sort of the mission and and the and and the goals um, you know that you've articulated and and sort of what you've been up to you know before you know, the shelter in place, um, and then since then. Um, and then we'll fold right into um, sort of, um, you know, Todd, you could tell us how, you know, how you met and uh, Oshala like 30 years ago. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah. Oh, you said oh, more than that, 40 years ago? Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago. Oh, okay. Oh, you all grew up together. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's heck of awesome. Um so Taj Mahal says that he's a designer and he comes from three generations of creativity, his mother, his grandmother and his great grandmother. Uh he's designed tote bags, baby carriage covers, clothing, bulletproof vests, exercising equipment, telephony, uh computer programs, uh high-end custom hardwood floors, live work huts, and a plan, which we're going to talk about, to transform our homeless problem into a movement for growth and change for our unhoused community. 
And uh, Oshala, um, who I'll introduce, and then I'm going to let Todd do a more introduction. Um, she is an arts and culture and wellness educator and small business owner. Professionally, She's professionally trained as a dancer, actress, yoga, and Pilates mat instructor. And she has produced, directed, written, curated, and performed in a multitude of projects and events throughout the Bay Area for several decades, including the annual Marin City Juneteenth Community Festival. And, uh, and there was a really wonderful um, art exhibit that um, it, I think it sort of just came down. Is that the one that, you know, was at the uh, Marin um, Civic uh, Center? Yes. Mm-hmm. And what was the name of the um, black, art exhibit? Black, black, black Beyond Borders. Black Beyond Borders. Yeah, that's, that is such a nice affirmation. Black Beyond Borders. Who are you? I'm Black Beyond Borders. Nice. <laughs> 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 and 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 we already mentioned that um you know that uh she is the clinical director of Secmet Community Acupuncture. No, not the clinical director. Uh, no, 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 ma- no, no, she's not yeah. the Yeah, she's the managing where am I? Uh, she's the managing director of Segment Community Acupuncture with, Clinic uh, at South Richmond. With my partner with uh, Jean-Pierre um yeah. Yeah, Jean-Pierre. How do you pronounce um, Jean-Pierre's last Jean-Pierre. name? Jean-Pierre. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. C-K. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the clinical director is uh, Dr. Ken Morris. All righty. So that was like a lot of conversation there for me. So, Taj, take it away. Yeah. Well, um, okay, what it is that I want to talk about is the formation of what I call the Homeless Force Coalition Movement. And what it is is a movement that is, um, is of, by, and for homeless people to create better conditions while they're living on the streets or are unhoused until the housing becomes available. That also includes to be able to produce, you know, to help to produce houses themselves where we could do training programs where they could build them and, and assist, you know, in, in making it better for all homeless people. But basically what it is is that I want to develop clean, safe, empowering, productive locations where homeless people can, you know, have their, their toilets and all the facilities that they need. And in addition to that, to create jobs and to do things that help the community to prosper and to help to create opportunities for them to, do, to have their own businesses and to live better lives. You know, a, a part of this thing, the, the reason why homelessness is so bad is because the houses are not available. There are houses out there. There's lots of empty houses. They say in the Bay Area that there's five empty homes for every homeless person, but they're not available to the homeless people, and we need to change that. But in the meantime, we need to do things that are going to help homeless people have better lives today and yesterday, you know, because the, the, the system that they have in place now to to um, to alleviate the problem, which is to build low-income apartments and, and housing, is going to take five years or more. You know, it takes a long time to build buildings, to get the, the, the permits and, and develop sites and all of that. And there's a lot of competition for market-rate housing. So what I'm saying is that what we need to do is build safe, clean, sanctioned encampment sites where people could live and work and grow 
without having to have the strain of trying to find a place to use the bathroom every day or trying to find a place where they could eat, where they, we could have things. Like I see that there's, a, there's a products on the market for camping equipment that we could have, you know, they could have solar and, 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 and cooking stoves and showers and a lot of the things that people need they're out there. We can have them. We just have to take care of them. We just have to divert some of the funds that we're using to deal with our homeless problem to having a comfortable living situation for our homeless people. And I see, like, we're, we're spending a lot of money. I'm in Berkeley. The, the homeless problem in, the, in Alameda County has been growing about 25% a year. Last year in Berkeley, it grew over 40%. You know, I mean, we're doing a lot of efforts. We're doing a lot of things to deal with the problem. But the homeless person on the street, their problem is growing and growing exponentially. And that's what this thing is about. So um, so what I want to say about it is that I think that we can, we can have uh, a coalition of homeless people that, have, that create businesses and operations like manufacturing operations and uh, uh, things that help to beautify the city. Uh, we could do compost and biochar. We have sewing operations, wood shop, artwork operations. That's where, where the, the segment in Oshala comes in at. Um, uh, we could do our, our circulation of uh, nutritional support products. We could have flea market prop, uh, partnerships to help to distribute some of the products that we make. Uh, we could help clean up the streets and clean up all homeless encampment sites. Um, we could have we could do our own things for the brothers and sisters that are on drugs. We could have operations similar to AA that are on at the, the, the specific encampment site. So we could take care of ourselves. And I guess that's the the main thing about this movement is about homeless people working together to create opportunities to better their lives and the lives of other homeless people. And where we do it ourselves, and there, there, there's money and funds available, and there's uh, philanthropic uh, uh, contributors that will help to do it. What we have to do is just get together and state what we want and have us put our needs and our ways on the table. And that's what the Homeless Force Coalition is about. Yeah. So um, why don't you talk for a minute about, because um, I think, in our conversation we've had that you've you've gone to the city of Berkeley and uh presented, you know, this 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 plan, you know, to um I guess council and um and and it seems like, you know, your your suggestions, your the movement idea has been um uh acknowledged and, and welcomed, but you haven't been able to less necessarily get the city to be behind it. So if you could talk a little bit about about you know those that you know trying to to get um you know the cities you know to support your work as well as um sort of some of i think some of the encampments that you've already worked with um and yeah. that that people might know um who are familiar with um Alameda County and and Berkeley specifically right well the thing with the city and the bureaucracy that's out there is that it is a bureaucracy, and they have ways of dealing with it and restrictions that they can't do. Like they, it, it, it's difficult for them to do the, the what I'm calling the sanctioned encampment because there's restrictions that are put on it by HUD and by the different governmental agencies that they can only do it in a certain way. Like they have to have a lot of people 
clustered together and have to be and, – and, and they don't have a lot of say-so over what they do. Always when I talk to people that are in the homeless community uh, and, and uh, leaders that have that run the, the locations, the, the existing camps, um, they, they, what, they, what they can't do is what they always want to have is self-government, where the encampment defines what it is that they want to do, how they want to do it. That's hard to do because the city doesn't allow that. They want you to do it their way, and with their, with their solution for homelessness is to create the pathways and um, um, temporary shelters where you stay for six months, and then if you get a place, if, if they have a, an apartment for you, at the end of that six months, you could move in. If they have a job for you at the end of that six months, you could, you could, go, you could, you could start working if you don't have a job. And the way that they set it up is that, um, they have a list of the people that are hiring for jobs, and they give they 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 um, give you a resume and send you out to apply along with all the other hundreds of people that are applying. What I'm saying that's different from that is that we will create our own jobs. We will create them from within. We will we'll set up uh, marketing uh, and distribution lines like that's with the thing with with uh, Secmet, with uh, with Oshala, with her art institute. But there's, like I'm saying, like to do things with the flea market, to partner with any business, with uh, uh, faith-based organizations, to do fundraisers with them, and start a community-wide participating um, coalition of people, many segments of the uh, of the uh, popul- of the of the um, of the city, to help the people that are homeless to have more opportunities to make money and live better lives. You know, because there's a lot of things that people could do. We could, we could uh, even, I mean, not just to say, like, clean up yards and things like that, but to do that also, you know, to help people to, to have money and to make, to, 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 to make an impression of the people that live in the community that, look, these are our brothers and sisters. These are our children. You know, they just are down on their luck. They've had, you know, they were their paycheck away, and now they're homeless, and they need to have a leg up. And so far, all they could do is, is sign up in the in the uh, the HUD line and wait until a spot becomes available. And a lot of times, that's two or three years before they get a place, before they have an opportunity to get off the streets and get into a, a, a shelter. And a lot of times, the shelter stays, it's like I'm saying, for six months, and then they have to leave. Why not have sanctioned encampments and places where people can be that will be clean and productive? You know, and um, where there'll be temporary, where, where they have to, where, where necessary, and where people can can live decent lives and do things to better themselves and to create opportunities for other homeless people. That's what I'm bringing to the table. That's what I'm suggesting happens. And so when I go to the city and talk to them about it, what they're saying is that we can't do it. It's insurance. It's this. It's that. And I'm saying, wait a minute. They don't have insurance now. Why not? You're spending all this money. Why not have it guaranteed that every encampment has has a, a garbage pickup, toilet, and hand washing stations? There's mobile buses going around where they could have showers. We could make there, there's a lot of creative arrangements that we could make to have the people live, you know, where they could have the things that they need. We could have food. We could have, like I'm saying about the camping equipment and the the um, um, wash stations and and shower things that they have for campers that they could set up at encampments. There's, and it's really about having services to them. People talk about how dirty it is and, and how they're trashing the environment and all that. 
and the places where they encamp at. But I see that when we have the garbage strikes and they stop picking up our garbage here in the city, that, that our, you know, that we have garbage up and down the streets too because you don't have it. And people don't realize that if you're homeless, you don't have a lot of times the people don't have cars and things. They don't have enough money to go and, 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 and pay for the dump runs and do the dump runs because they need that for their survival. They need that for their heat and for their food. And, um, and that's what I'm bringing to the table is, is to put the light on the situation and say, look, we're doing the things that we're doing, and that's all fine. We're trying to find locations where they can be. But in the meantime, they need a place where they can sleep tonight, and they need to have some security today. That's what we're talking about. Right. But I think, I think you also told me that um, um, at one of the, uh, the encampments, I think the larger one on Adeline, that I think they have, like, solar and that yeah. actually, um, yeah, you, you helped set up some of the, um, uh, the, the, um, the power, um, solar power there. And, and, you know, you've actually, you know, like you mentioned, you know, you've been engaging and talking to people that are under and unhoused, um, these, these curbside communities about, you know, sort of what could sustain them until, you know, they could have permanent housing. Um, so I was wondering if you could, um, uh, talk a little bit about that, and and um, and then um, and maybe. Uh, and I was looking also that you have um, um, seven steps of personal development. That's a part of the uh, homeless force uh, uh, coalition. Yes, yes. So okay. So what that is, the seven step of personal development is where we have. So I'm looking for my list so I could be straight on it. Okay. What, okay, what it is is the development program is to organize our homeless community members for, from the leaders on down and to get the support of the people that are in the homeless community to help us to build this movement, to see the opportunity that it, that it, that it, um, that it brings to the table. Okay, and then – wait, this, that's the wrong thing. And then to do a um, a citywide registration, where this is a membership, and so it's not for every homeless person. Some people don't want to do it. You know, they're, they they would rather live like they're doing, like like they you know like they see fit, and they've been homeless for a long time, and they want to stay in that lane, and that's totally cool. That's totally cool. Everyone needs to have a place. So okay, but anyway. For the seven steps of personal development, it says we start with unhoused people living on the streets, initial contact with the HFC movement, which is to start cleaning up your personal spaces and to inspire people to start um, collecting their garbage, and then we will come around and pick it up. Um, And then to start personal training, okay? When I say with personal training, that's the spiritual element and also a nutritional element. We have, um, I have a, a very good nutritionist that's out of Alabama that he has, has developed some nutritional products to help people that haven't been eating properly to kind of repair the damage that's been done to their body. Also, it's um, about personal work projects, um, job training, and development skills where we have products that we want to do, like, like um, I'm saying like the, the, the biochar, um, which is it, it's it's a um, 
biochar, okay, I'm kind of losing. Biochar is, uh, is a fertilizer that's made from scrap wood and organic matter. It's like a compost. It's an element that you put into composting. It's an industry that we could start and develop and make a lot of, create a lot of jobs and a lot of income streams for people that are working with the movement. Um, also, we want to have um, 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 personal development opportunities. Like what that is, is, you know, for, for, for spiritual growth and for you to find out what your niche is, what your God-given talent is, and then develop it and, then, and to create a way for you to make an income from that. You know, some people are really good with, uh, with sewing. Some are art. Some are, 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 are good for cleaning. Some are good for helping other people, their leadership. And um, um, that's what I'm talking about. I'm kind of getting, um, getting off subject here, I know. But there's a lot of opportunity here if, people, if we could work together as a, a unified body and look at ways for us to make it good for everyone and to create a different example of what it is to be homeless. Wow, wow. It's a really um it's a well articulated plan and uh how can people um who are are interested and want to help, how can they be in touch with you? Okay. Um the website is the homelessforcecoalition dot com. What we can do and what I want to do is set up establish meetings with concerned and and um interested homeless people in, in, in the Berkeley community and also Alameda County at large. Um, so if you would email me at the Homeless Force Coalition, we will have, we have the, um, we'll set up meeting times and get together and have further discussions about it. I can also send out information. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, for some reason um, I am not being able to reach the site. So maybe you could um you could send me the the URL and and I could post it for folks here on the website. Okay. Great. Thank you, Wanda. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well thank you so much for your patience, uh Oshala. So um so how does Oshala come into the picture? I remember when you were telling me when I would call you and say, Yeah, I'm I'm building this um this uh um Wellness center, and I'm like, yes, and we're going to be having yes. an opening house, and um, and I and I thought I had missed it, but I haven't missed the opening, the well, the open, open, <laughs> no. um, the open house. Things yeah, have been so, a little delayed. A little delayed. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, so how? Tell us about um, Sister um, Oshala and how how you all um, met, and uh, and and yeah, and then Sister Oshala, you could take it away and talk to us about Sekmet. Um, Wellness Center, Community Acupuncture. Okay, so you want me to introduce her. And uh, basically, um, I met Oshala over 30 years ago um, at a an aerobic exercise club, and um, <laughs> and she came in. We kind of, you know, we we saw each other, and um, and we decided that it would be good for us to get together because we were on the same page. We're both healthy. We're both young, black, you know, uh, aerobic instructors. And, um, and so we got together, we started eating together and, and, um, 
you know, because we, we just, we were on the same page and we were out in uh, Fairfax in Marin County and we just got along really good, became friends really early on. Um, and then we did, we, we started living together and just kind of taking care of each other. We became a family. And, um, and over the years, I mean, we, we've done many different projects together, but I always helped her to build things. I've always had that gift of putting things together. I mean, that's from the early age I did that. And, um, and then when she got to this, to the, um, to doing the healing in the wellness center, you know, it was like, of course I would help her and do whatever I could. You know, we also had um, a few years ago, there was a, a henna hair, hair salon that we had in Mill Valley. Um, and she's always been, she's always been a theater artist and a performer and a community activist and um and just an inspiration to me so but it's been like i'm saying it's 30 years it's been a long time we've done many many things and now with yeah, this it's um, it's a beautiful place that has a lot of um positive energy in it because you know we did every aspect that we did it with love and really with the uh the thought of giving something to our community that's special and that's healing and that brings inspiration and love and um, empowerment. So, and that's what she's about. You'll see when she talks. <laughs> All right, Sister Shala. Talk yes, to yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um where I, uh, first of all, thank you so much, Wanda, for, uh, do we have a good connection? Can you hear me well? I can hear you really well. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, yeah, where I feel there's an, an intersection with what Taj is doing um, with the Homeless Force Coalition is, first of all, it's really about resiliency and sustainability. I never looked at this. Uh, the issue of people being unhoused as a homeless problem as much as it is a problem of inequitable economic, um, the way that our society is set up, where people are actually not able to afford to, to, to get into a house. And so the problem is really uh, an economic problem and that, you know, at, at what point, you know, do people not, uh, you know, can't live in a place that I think in Oakland, the rent for a one-bedroom apartment hit downtown uh, $3,500 for a one-bedroom. Mm, so wow. that that is that is the problem, <laughs> a homeless problem. That is the problem. So what it has created is, people that would normally be able to be in a house or be in a place are not able to be in that place anymore. And so that the, the idea in our minds that being attached to a home and, and, you know, having a particular kind of job and all these things, this identity that we have of what is successful, if the society is now saying what it takes to be successful is living in a $3,500 a month home and a one bedroom home, where you're not able to um, afford to really be able to put your children through school, that level of dignity being taken away from people. How do we actually, in the face of anything, continue to maintain our dignity and our self-reliance? 
And what I see, Taj's vision for Homeless Force Coalition, uh, Coalition is that you can look at a homeless encampment as, you know, a, a flea market. It could be a place where people are making things, making their own uh, uh, stoves, making their own tents, being entrepreneurial and being supported in that. So if the society were to actually acknowledge its own errors and not blame it on homeless people to say, oh, you've done something wrong here. You're not fitting in society. We need to build, we need to build low-income housing. No, we actually need to separate, you know, reduce the wealth gap in this country, so which has just gone completely insane. Until that is done, how is it that people can have dignity um, and create for themselves? That's really what we're talking about. And arts and wellness have always been ancient techniques for wellness, and the arts and creating have always been a part of my life. So the the idea of being able to have art that is created on encampments be able to be displayed in our art gallery. We have an art gallery that um, uh, is just opening up. A lot of things are have been in, in plan and motion for a long time. I've been doing work in arts and healing for many, many decades. However, uh, this season has been is the season of harvest. So uh, this month we just opened MC Arts Gallery in uh, Marin City, California, and we're opening in, the, in Secmet Community Acupuncture. So the work of arts, community arts specifically, and wellness, community wellness specifically, has been given a new platform. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit more about um, uh, SECMED Community Acupuncture Clinic. Um, I think yesterday when we were getting to know one another, you were talking about um, actually um, the services being offered off-site, which I thought was really wonderful, um, and uh, and and I was just wondering, um, just sort of, um, if you could talk to us a little bit about the name Sekhmet, um, which is a Kemetic uh, uh, name of a goddess, right? And yes. um, and and what what this particular goddess represents um, energetically, and and we were just sort of looking at how you know how it's so perfect, you know that. You know this this um, wellness center will be opening now. You know at this particular point in 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 our um, you know at a time when when such places are needed. Energetically, it is so divinely mm-hmm. ordained that Sekmet Community Acupuncture Clinic is opening up during these times. Sekmet, uh, when my my partner and I, Jean Pierre Sige, were looking for a name for the clinic. Um, We wanted a name that was definitely uh, of our ancestors, of Kemet. We wanted the name to reflect healing and protection and resiliency. And Sekhmet uh, is just such a beautiful deity. She's such a beautiful goddess. She is a healing goddess, and she's also a goddess of protection. And she's also the goddess of plague and destruction. So 
so in that she is the, the goddess of, of plague and destruction and also of healing and protection, this is a balance. This is like the yin-yang that we work with in, in acupuncture, that balance of if you are out of balance, you know, in order to get back in balance, you need healing. And, and, and war, destruction, plague, pestilence is being out of balance um, and, you know, coming into healing and peace and reflection, meditation through herbs, through this ancient practice of acupuncture, which is ancient and tried and proven, herbs, plants, all the things that are needed for us to be well are in the earth, come from the earth. And so combining Sekhmet, the Egyptian deity, with this ancient practice of, of acupuncture coming out of China, the African and the Chinese cultures merging in with most power is, I feel, very appropriate during this time. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. So, Sekhmet, um, Sekhmet, Sekhmet's face is a lion. She has the mm-hmm. face of a lion and a body of a, of a woman. <laughs> yeah, she sounds fierce. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty fierce. <laughs> Yeah, but lions yeah. are also very communal, and if you, if you look at mm-hmm. a feline, she's you know very very protective of her of her cubs, and um, and they're very communal. They don't lions don't go out looking for trouble. <laughs> they don't. You know they do what they need to do to protect themselves and feed their families, and that's what they do. But don't mess with uh don't mess with mama lion. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, perhaps you could uh, share something, um, you know, that people who are listening can, um, uh, you know, take with them um, that can can help them, you know, sort of in managing, you know, these these times, you know, now that, um, you know, people are, you know, some people are not feeling really grounded in themselves or in spirit. Uh, or in place, and and if we're thinking about, you know, people that are underhoused and unhoused, or, um, you know, and and the whole idea of, you know, cleanliness, you know, being able to to be able to wash up, is not something that uh, a person can take for granted if there's no running water, right? So what do you do if there's no running water? There are no flushable toilets when, you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, when everything shuts down. Um, you know, what does one do? Yes, what, what, what does one do? I want to say that we have been here before and way worse. And mm-hmm. when we look at history, history is very important because it shows us that all of the things are cyclic. We are in a period where uh, this is certainly not the worst disease that uh, humanity has encountered by far. I mean, even if we look at at, at, um, uh, diseases such as yellow fever or malaria, um, where the symptoms of that are just, you know, incredibly worse, um, 
and yet people have managed to not only live in the midst of them, but actually thrive in the midst of them, that we've gone through plagues, we've gone through pestilence, we've gone through all these things. We've gone through periods where not only were people not housed, but they were in chains, they were uh, tortured regularly. So if we look at the ancestors and, and look at what they did to get through and really study our history, I think that we get closer to how to be grounded now. I'll use my mother as an example. She, just as in, just as a general rule, whenever we went out, my mother would have a, a plastic bag with a, a rag in it with water and soap. <laughs> she just had that. And why did she have it? She just had it along with safety pins. And so when we were going out, we would go out to the movies, and uh, she would bring food to the movies. And then, you know, next thing you know, or we're at a park or at a festival, next thing you know, Mama's uh, flipping out the, the, the wet rag for us to wash our hands, right? Um, things like that, uh, just old school wisdom tips that, you, you know, you carry your, your, your bath with you, right, in your, in your purse or your bag. Um, that is one little, you know, uh, intimate story that I, I'd like to share because that's just very real. And, and I grew up with that, that sense of, you know, how can I maintain my face being clean and my hands being clean no matter what's going on around me? I'm going to carry my rag that with water with me. Um, I also feel that um, being able to, to, to step out into a space of peace wherever you are. The beautiful thing that's happening right now is that the sun is shining. There's beautiful plants. I'm looking at this 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 pink bush of flowers. I've, I've lived across the street from this railroad track. On on both sides of the track, there's all this mess. There's garbage that you could see has been collected against the fifth fence, and yet there's this beautiful bush of pink flowers that have just sprouted up. Where did those flowers come from? And what right did they have to be so beautiful in the face of so much ugliness? This is nature. Nature teaches us that, yes, you can, like the lotus, branch, sprout, grow, not only grow, but be absolutely radiant, beautiful, and inspiring, growing out of the mud. For a matter of fact, the lotus needs mud in order for it to come out and to grow because it's always seeking the sun. So when we walk outside, even if we have a little plot, wherever we are, to look up at the sky and to look at the sun and to see that sun and allow it to shine on our face because all the stuff that's going on around us, the sun is magically shining down on us. These flowers are growing around us in the most... uh, Crazy conditions, they're there for us. One thing that I'll say is that I'm going to, I have to represent the dandelion plant. The dandelion <laughs> green has been a friend of humanity for eons. Dandelions are considered number one, enemy number one weed, especially according to Monsanto, who created, what was the, uh, the, fertilizer, the uh, pesticide that Monsanto created, Taj Mahal? To kill dandelion green? Roundup. 
Roundup. So wow. dandelion yeah. greens, dandelion greens uh, are considered a weed. However, dandelion greens are amazing for the liver, for detoxifying the liver, for the breast tissue, uh, for kidney health. Um, they are very, very uh, detoxifying, and they help with digestion. You can use the roots for herbal teas. Um, it's an amazing plant. And not only that, they follow us. So if you look outside of your house and you see, what are the weeds that are growing? Or you look outside of your tent, what weeds are growing around me? A lot of times there's dandelion green. Now, unfortunately, those dandelions have been oftentimes sprayed with Roundup, so we have to be careful. But what is the message that dandelion is giving us in the plant? It's saying, look, humanity, you need me. You need to eat me. You need to boil me. I am your gift, and I am free for you. Right? So the lesson here for me is that the plants are our friends and that it has been the industrial complex that has attempted to separate us from the plants and separate us from each other. And I see that, again, Homeless Voice Coalition, people making things that can be purchased from uh, others. It's like Amazon. Yeah, Amazon can control the world if you just if we all shop at Amazon. But what if somebody in the Homeless Force Coalition in the encampment is making something this valuable, like the flea market? I would go to the flea market to buy things from people that were out there. It wasn't necessarily an open uh, a market. Or it wasn't raw, but I would go to the flea market to purchase these things. If we can transform what we think of homeless encampments to big farmers markets, right? I mean, that's, I know that's kind of like some people might say, oh, that's a fantasy. But it's not that far from reality that if, if we reframe what it is that we're doing out here. So those, those are the, the, the things that I wanted to share is, is to, to, to pay attention to the, to the beauty of nature around us, no matter what is going on. Look up at the sky. Look at all that blue beauty. Let the sun shine on our face. If the sun's not shining, let the wind consciously blow and feel it and take a deep breath and know that the planet is our friend. Mm, nice, nice, yeah. That's beautiful. I was wondering if you if you could maybe describe for us this, this wellness center. Um, and um, I know, uh, Taj Mahal, you're, you know, you're an artist, so it sounds like... Um, you know, the artistry and the workmanship within, you know, the place is sort of a part of its healing properties, like the space itself <laughs> sort of invites, you know, well-being or health, you know, before anyone necessarily lays hands on you. The hands are already like the, the laying on of the hands is a part of the, the actual construction of the of the of the place. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what it looks like and um and and how you approach um you know these various projects that you know were really numerous that I, I listed off when when we first started talking um you know uh I don't know, almost an hour ago. Okay. Hmm. Yeah well it's about really okay what I have is about creating comfort and leaving the light behind. So mm. you do it, when, when I do a project, I do it in a spirit of love and giving and sharing. 
And it's really about um, the way that you leave the light behind is doing it as perfectly as you can in that moment. And if you make a mistake, there's always a thing, what I call go back to raw wood or go back to the beginning. Just make sure that you don't leave a mistake and then just cover that mistake with a Band-Aid. Eliminate it and do it the right way the first time. You know, and really be aware of the person that's going to be using it and the effect that your work is going to have when the person comes into that environment where they could feel it. Even though they, it might be something behind a wall or something that they don't actually see it, there's something about the energy when they walk into that space that's done with integrity and love and that, you know, what, what it's like um, I feel like I'm when I'm doing work like that, all of my creative things, it's like I'm channeling and this thing is working through me. And it's almost like I'm watching my hands do the work. And it's like, I'm, I'm just like, it's almost like watching a movie or something. Because it's like being connected with source and just allowing that, that, that the, the, the positive energy to work through me to create what's being done. And it's like a meditation. You know, it's like the spirit that you bring to it while you're doing it, it is what makes it something special. And that's something that uh, that we all have inside of us. We all have that thing that we really like doing, and just time just kind of stands still. And it's like it's magical. And you get all this stuff done, and you're like amazed, like, wow, I did it. You know, that's that's what it is. It's like connecting with your source and connecting with your gift. That's what, what I did there and what I do with all my projects. That's why when I did the um, – when I was doing the, the, the high-end hardwood floors, it was something special about doing it, you know, and just coming up. I, I would be working on something or, or a client would say that this is what they want and this is what they want to create. And then you go around and you see how the rest of their house are. You're just the feeling that you get while you're talking to them. And then these ideas come into my head. You know, it's like I'm not thinking about, well, what could I do? I'm just like going on. And then it's like, wow, this light bulb comes on. It's like, wow. And you like, you see it like it's already done before it even gets started. That's something, and it's like um, it's important to like for me to orientate myself, where I kind of let go of whatever uh, frustrations or whatever thoughts I had before I came into that environment, before I sat down to to design or build whatever it is, that I just kind of create myself as an empty vessel and allow spirit to work through me, and that's like a, a secret that we could, we should all do. But you'll see when you come through the yeah. when you walk through the door, you can feel it. So I want to mm-hmm. I want to just say that so segment so the building itself, um, we're in a, um, a artisan cove in South Richmond, so it's a live workspace. So it's, it's actually I think there should be more of those in the Bay Area where, you know, the the business of the, the segment community acupuncture is located in a um, uh, a live work business community. So, you know, everyone that lives in this community is is an entrepreneur. And then our business is Secnet Community Acupuncture. From the moment that you walk in, I mean, Taj being the artist that he is as a craftsman. So the the whole space is hypoallergenic from the the bamboo floor. We have bamboo floors. The wall paneling is made from bamboo fiber. completely non-toxic, uh, the wood, when you look at just the details of, of how the, the wall even was constructed, you know, if you look, behind, if you feel behind it, and I was looking at, at, at Taj as he was lovingly, uh, you know, 
painting or, you know, putting stain on each board that goes up for the pillars that we have. Um, it, it was all just so, um, so, so the space for people who are concerned about toxicity is completely clean and fresh. You can just feel that energy from the floor to the ceiling, <laughs> all non-toxic, uh, for, first of all. And, um, and, and then, you know, we just um, looked at it from a point of how to create a space where, you know, as you come in that you just feel like you're in a space that is open, that's expansive, that's nurturing, and that you can be reflective in and, and, receive, your, and receive your healing. Um, and what I love about acupuncture and, and our uh, clinical director, Dr. Ken Morris, has 30 years of experience doing acupuncture and bringing in a, a great team of people to work is that it is truly holistic care. It is not care that waits for you to get sick, although it does do well uh, with conditions that you may have with, with the backache and neck ache and uh, allergies and fertility issues, but it is hands-on. You know, you the minute that you sit down and receive your intake with community acupuncture, acupuncture, you're being, you know, the, your, your tongue is being looked at, your eyes are being looked into. You feel like you, the person, is being treated. And so we start the healing process from the minute that the, that you walk into the door. Hmm. Yeah. How how large is the space? It's about a thousand fifty square feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Divided, so you can receive. So it's a six chair clinic, um, and each chair has about you know. Talk about distancing, right? But each chair has a you know you have a nice space. Each chair has around four feet around it. So it, you know, but you're in the chair. It's a reclining chair, uh, very very comfortable chairs that go all the way back. Um, and so you could either be in the community room and receive your, your treatment, or you can also opt to receive private acupuncture in a private room with the, with the doctor as well. Um, so, and then there's a waiting room and, you know, an intake room as well. And then there's also a little patio for people who just want to sit outside. You can do that as well and meditate in a little, um, little open garden. Where where is it located exactly? What's the address? It's nine two one Marina Way South in Richmond. So it's about a block away from the ferry. A lot of people don't know that there's a ferry in Richmond, but there is. Um, so it's <laughs> it's not too far from the ferry. Um, uh. It's on Marina Way South, and um, it's you know I would I, when when things kind of. You know, our grand opening has been postponed somewhat, but we definitely plan to open within the next month uh, for those that want to continue to to get their healing and know that they're coming into a safe, clean space to do that. I would uh, say that people can make, you know, a a, a day out of it to come down, uh, get their treatment, to take a walk over to the water and, and breathe in that fresh air. Um, I do want to say, in addition to the clinic, Dr. Ken Morris and some of the acupuncturists that will be working with our team do have done on-site uh, treatments for people who are living in encampments or who are unhoused. 
Um, and so that is something that the practitioners do on their own as well. And um, one of the reasons that we're working with them is because we like that spirit of community. I'm consciously looking for people who want to uh, and, and who have in their um, experience working in different communities. That's a very important part of what we're doing here at that Community Acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was um, wondering if uh, Dr. Morris was um, an African-American uh, doctor and... Uh, Yes, when mm-hmm. I put the call out, it was really important for me to, because I think uh, as far as legacy is concerned, I think it's really important for black children, for children of Africanists, especially in this racist society where they often do not see themselves in certain positions, especially in California. So it was important for us uh, when we had the vision, like what is our business model going to be uh, in this live-work space and choosing acupuncture it was important. I, my first thought was I, I want to, I looked in the African community for uh, black folks that were doing acupuncture, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I put out a call uh, to the various acupuncture colleges that were very helpful. I got some different responses, and Dr. Ken responded, and it was just, it was so perfect. He is um, uh, half African American and half Chinese American. So he he studied in China, and uh, he's worked in the in the black community as well. So he really comes truly from this diverse background where his his ancestry is literally rooted in Chinese um, medicine, and also um, the 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 empathy of being an African American in this country as well. So he has both, and uh, mm-hmm. and we're bringing on to our team uh, different. A diverse team. We have uh, Lan Wang, who is uh, Japanese. Um, we have a sister. Um, we're, we're still putting together our team, but we have a woman who is a Puerto Rican woman. Um, uh, we have another uh, sister, uh, uh, a black woman, and we'll and we are, are consciously again wanting for this to be uh, where people of all ethnicities come to this clinic and see black folks and other folks of color in these positions of, of, of medical practitioner. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was, um, I looked him up, and uh, there are a lot of um, Ken Morris's. So I wanted to make sure I had the right one. <laughs> That's why his, mm-hmm. his smiling face. Yeah, he teaches face. in Berkeley. Yeah, he teaches mm-hmm. in Berkeley at the um, Integrated Acupuncture College in Berkeley right now. Right, yeah, and I think he's also one of the acupuncturists um, uh, at Kaiser in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Yep, he's working Kaiser yeah. too. Yeah, we're very, yeah. very fortunate to have him on this team. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, I was wondering um, if um, if there's anything that you know we haven't talked about that you both want to share, and and then I have if you know after you do that, I wanted you to talk a little bit about your your time in Africa and uh and Taj cuz Taj mentioned that he um he designed this bag for you um that expanded and contracted in size and and that you brought your djembe you know back from West Africa oh, home wow, in the bag wow. that's a memory yeah, that's and, a, it just, that is a and it memory. just sounds like heck of cool and then 
And then Taj talks about your mother and your mother who carried a wet cloth and water and soap. Um, <laughs> uh, how how you know how she took care of him, you know, while you were away because you know, like he said, you were all a family. So anyway, I just wanted. I'm just curious. I just wanted some of those stories. Yeah. But before that, yeah. yeah, is there anything anything you wanted to share about? Um, you know, about the wellness center, about your work, uh, Taj, with the Homeless uh, uh, Force um, Coalition, um, yeah, that, that you didn't already touch on. Um, well, I know I, I left a lot of stuff out because it's very broad. But really what I want to say is that it's time for us and the people in the homeless community to get together and to build opportunities for themselves because the, 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 the people that are out there that are supposed to be helping them, they're doing a great job and they're, they're doing what they think is necessary, but they really are not, um, they're not helping homeless people on a, on a day-to-day level to live better each day. And that's what I'm bringing to the table. That's something that's missing. We really need to have uh, inspiration uh, throughout the homeless community, and that's something that you don't have. You know, homeless people just feel like, oh, woe is me kind of an energy. And it's really important to say that, hey, today is today, and tomorrow is going to be better, and the day after that will be better. Start, you know, start having confidence and having a a vision of, of, of a brighter future very soon so that we can make it happen because that's what it takes. It's about being inspired and committed and believe in yourself and believe in a brighter tomorrow. And I know it sounds like altruistic or whatever, but that's what we need in the homeless community. There are people to feel like they are, are you know, that maybe that they were, they, they were knocked down a little, but now it's time for them to move up and that it's happening. And if they work together, it can happen faster. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, working together is really important. The 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 bag, uh, that, that's a great symbol. I mean, I'll use that bag as a symbol. Um, you know, it, it was like I needed to, to take something that, to travel with me. And, um, and that bag just had all different pockets and just, you know, everything that I needed um to you know as a young woman that would you know uh to to travel um and it expanded and um there are artisans right now that are that are doing things like that and what comes to my mind when Taj says you know being inspired what's what is to stop and i know that this is in the vision of of the homeless force coalition to stop there being like little mini manufacturing areas little zones, little little uh, free, fair enterprise zones in homeless encampments that can make those things. Because I know as a consumer, I'm very concerned about how money, you know, I follow the money quite, uh, I, I follow the money and I see, you know, where my, I observe where my money is being spent. And I know that if I, if I knew that someone, you know, was making something that I really wanted, and then it's also benefiting community, I would choose to buy there versus buying it on Amazon. And, mm-hmm. and I think that more and more, if we begin to really look at how 
can we be the economy? How can we make those changes on a micro level and, uh, and, do, it, and do it for ourselves? I want to add to that, Africa bringing it up to 2020, I want to put a shout out for the year of return, which is 2019, um, for, for African people, for children of the African diaspora, as things keep getting crazier and crazier, and they always have been crazy in, in the United States, they really have. If we look at you know, every decade, it's just been very crazy. And I think that oftentimes we didn't really feel like we had another option that we were just kind of stuck here with our back against the wall. And I, I feel that, that the president of Ghana putting out the call for children of the diaspora to begin to look at Africa as a, uh, a beacon, a, a place um, to be welcomed to, to be able to rest, to be able to restore, to be able to invest, to be able to create, and for us to even have trade. So with Homeless Force Coalition being able to get materials and manufacturing, all the materials, all the resources are on that continent. And, and if, if we look at as black people that, no, we are not behind, we are actually ahead because the world, Africa has everything that the world needs. And I feel like it's really time for us as black people to really understand that and for us to, to, to look up and have a deeper connection, uh, a more immediate connection with the African continent, especially for the children getting educated and, and trained on the continent to be able to come here back and forth knowing it's like so many immigrants do, going back and forth and being able to use the best from each, from each society in order to live a better life where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about, um, you know, your trip to West Africa. Um, when was that, um, you know, that trip that um, Taj was telling me about where you, was that your first time there? Where did you go? How long did you stay? And did you, were you there last year for the year return as well? No, I wasn't. And, and when I was in Senegal, it was many years ago. So, I mean, it was a long okay. time ago, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, but, no, we're definitely planning to go um, back again um, to, you know, various uh, places in Africa, Cameroon being one of them, possibly Senegal. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went, it was, I think it's just so important for every black person. I don't know if you've been to the continent, Wanda. Have you been to the uh, continent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been um, quite a few times. Um, yeah, yeah, double digits. And uh, so you know, uh, the first time I that. went, first time I went was to Senegal because um, I was invited by uh, mm. uh, a family that I met here at, that was a part of a presentation at the the uh, annual um, um, Association of Black Psychologists. Um, uh, ABCI, and it was and the conference was in Oakland that year, so it was like easy. I didn't have to travel anywhere, so like I could just, you know, drive my car downtown or take the BART. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it was yeah. very easy. So I went and I met really wonderful um, family of healers. Um, um, uh, the uh, the daughter of Mom Fatusek, um, uh, um, and and her son. Uh, and her grandson, they were they were here. Um, and Pop, you know, he invited me. He said, "Well, if you if you if you want to come to Africa, uh, if you can get to Senegal, if you get to Rufisk, 
you know, we can host you. And I just thought, yeah, right. Um, But they were heck of serious. So, you know, I bought my ticket, and and I went, and it was marvelous. And I went back, (laughs) and, you know, and, and... that's my family. It was just so wonderful. And yeah, I've been been quite a few places. More recently, um my my ancestry is Yoruba and Fulani, and so I'd never been to Nigeria. So uh last what well, the year before last, um I was in uh, Ghana again, and then I went to Nigeria cuz it's right next door. And that was lovely. Benin City was the bomb. Like, oh my God, love Benin City, but also love Ashokbo and Ila Ife, and you know, and Lagos was hot. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it amazing when you go that you know this whole perception of we're a minority? You know, all of a sudden you like, wait a minute, <laughs> the president? Yeah. And there's all these women heads of state there. Um, mm-hmm. just, just so much of what we've been programmed to believe um, is is completely the opposite. And then to have that feeling around you that, whoa, like, look at all these black folks, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 it is completely life-changing. And, and, mm-hmm. and you get that you, you're not necessarily – here we oftentimes, we can make the mistake of – kind of over-identifying with our struggle, you know, and and that's not to say that our struggle is diminished, certainly not, because that's part of our legacy here in the United States. But to know that, you know, not only do we come from legacies of tremendous greatness here in this country as well, but also that, you know, folks are doing all kinds of, like, political, economic, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial community gathering on such, you know, just like, it's just like normal. And here it's mm-hmm. not normal. It's, it's, it's considered exceptional. So um, that is, that's a real important. So when I went, yeah, it was the first country that I hadn't even ever been to Mexico or, you know, even out of the uh, the state of California before I went oh, to. Wow. So I know my mother was just completely freaked out. Um, I, I was working in the community with young people and I, and I knew that I had wanted to learn French and I wanted to learn Spanish. And one morning I woke up and I was like, I've been having this on my to-do list in my, you know, for like years, either I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do it. And so Mm -hmm. I just, um, I put out there to save up some money and buy a ticket, you know, fast forward quite a bit, making that choice actually everything started to come into place. Um, the people that I was working with agreed to, because I was going to buy a one-way ticket because I couldn't afford to get a round-trip ticket, which was crazy. Um, but I knew that, you know, I was going to make it work, you know. Um, and, uh, but, but what happened is once I made that choice to go, things came open. The ticket became paid for. Um, the, the place to stay was lined up. There was so much magic in that choice. So oftentimes when, we, when it looks like something is insurmountable, just saying, I'm going to do this, then the cosmic forces align and say, okay, good. I'm glad you said that because I'm going to help you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, and I think just more and more of us, um, especially now, uh, have to have those experiences that you have had and I, I want to have more of them myself. 
because it's been a mm-hmm. while since um, since I've been there. But I do plan. We're definitely going going back and taking. I, I, I'm my my vision, and we're planning on taking. Uh, I want to take five or six young people of different ages with me the next time I go. My godchildren and um, well, some family members, so that they can really begin to see themselves differently. And they can begin to have an, another education, uh, another educational base outside of this uh, school-to-prison pipeline. We take it for granted, school-to-prison pipeline experience in America. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I um, yeah, I would love to um, be able to facilitate, um, you know, having some of our folks, um, you know, not just young people but older people too, Um you know, mm-hmm. be able to, like you say, um, have a different experience of, of 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 reality. You know, where they are the center uh, of of a universe that is not um, held in contrast to the European or white norm. Like that's not the norm. You know, like you know, Africa or you know, blackness is the center, and then this other stuff. I mean, you know, people definitely, you know, colonialism. You know, and 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 enslavement and all that that trauma that comes with that and the denial of self that comes with that. Um, you know, that's a reality, you know, globally. But yeah. it you know, it, it still goes without question, like when you just see all these people that look like you running stuff, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> like you don't even have to like sort of like figure out are they doing a good job or whatever. It doesn't matter if you know, you don't have to hear any words. Just look at it. <laughs> Like, wow, I've never seen this many black people in my life. Like, whoa. And they're on TV and they're, con- you know, they're directing traffic. You know, they're like, they're in the hospitals. They're flying the daggone planes. Like, what? There's women, African women. They're like the stewardesses. You know, they're on the ground directing the plane coming in and out. Like, what? What? I know. I know. It's like, what? I know. And I'm like, and can, I, about can I take a picture with you? And they're like, sure. I mean, I ask like, wow. They say, that's an American. You know, yeah, well, you can take a picture with me. I'm like, it's, I mean, it's not just one, 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 air, one pilot. It's like, there's lots of them. And I'm like, Kenya Airlines, you know, like, whoa, it's like amazing. And the food is so good on the airplanes that Africans are are flying and own. Oh, my God. Uh, It's like real food. It's like yummy, yummy. And then that was the first place I ever saw where the children, (laughs) the babies have their own little place where they can be secure. Right. And you don't hear a lot of babies crying either. You know, it was like, you know, yeah. just just, mm-hmm. just just from the from the time that they are popped out, you know, being mm-hmm. in that little um, cloth, you know, uh, brace around the mother's back where they're just like, oh, you know, I'm connected. And then from there, the, you know, passed around to different family members, you know, when they start crawling, community is such a big part of that and I think that the the one thing that really has that our challenge here in the United States is individualism because that has been the European way is this rugged individualism and 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 I understand why that is it's like you know to to come to a land and kind of take it and grab it you know and to feel like you know you're the one that's going to run it um that takes a certain kind of 
you have to separate yourself. And um, so that African experience of community, it takes a while because, you know, I grew up here too. And so that whole idea of individualism is in me too. And to be able to really um, understand that we are more powerful in our numbers than in our um, than in our individual uh, individual efforts. That's that's one of the reasons why I formed MC Arts and Culture or MC Arts is because black artists that were being ignored, really, especially in Marin. Although it's it's not just a Marin uh, based group, but it started in Marin because that's where you know my uh, ancestors, my grandparents, came to Marin City, um, mm. but you know, the the whole idea of that the artists were oftentimes invisible and ignored. And but but one artist told me, she said, I have gotten so much attention from people who were ignoring me <laughs> now that I've been part of this group and we had this art exhibit and people now wanna come into the community and teach and they wanna connect with us. And it's like that says that see they see you as a strength now. They see you as a posse. They see you coming with some power, and that is done as a collective. That is done as a group, and I stand by that. That is really the reason why MC Arts uh, exists, MC Arts and Culture exists, is because I know that we are more powerful as artists. That wow factor is even is exponentially expanded when we're all together, Think individually and then together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not to mention MC Arts and Culture and that wonderful exhibit that people missed um, uh, that came down already. Um, Tell us the name of it again. Black Beyond Borders. Black Beyond Borders. Yeah, tell us a little bit in in our closing moments about Black Beyond Borders, Um, you know, the vision, the artists, and, and just sort of like that place, you know, like, you know, you talk about, you know, coming full circle and, and, and the energy that comes from place, you know, as Taj was mentioning how, you know, he works, he's like like a spirit worker. Because I remember, Taj, when you um, exposed me to Zuni, you know, um, that uh, that character, spirit um, um, from, from the indigenous uh, culture, and I looked him up and I'm like, and I think I bought some earrings <laughs> with the Zuni on it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but just sort of the whole idea, like you know, Todd, you were talking about how, you know, you, you, in your energy, you know, you're putting love into the structure, and you know, like, you know, it's sort of like the energy that's 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 churning, you know, coming through you, that's coming out through your hands, uh, you know, to do these designs. That's a part of the actual tapestry, and and from what what I hear. Um, Ashala, is that you can feel it when you walk in the room. It's sort of like that's the stamp, you know. It's a part of the DNA of the structure. So, yeah, tell us about that art exhibit. It just sounds like it just really changed the face of Marin or San Rafael, um, like forever and ever. Like it really sort of like the folks have come back. (laughs) Right, right. Well, when, when people oftentimes hear black folks in Marin, it's like, you remember that commercial, Cows in Berkeley, right? It's like, what? Black folks, (laughs) where are they at? Right? Because when you think of Marin, people often have this vision of Marin. Whatever vision comes to mind, it's often not 
you know, group of black people. But the community that I grew up in, Marin, in Marin City, was literally 99% black. It, it was similar to South Berkeley, um, Richmond, Vallejo, East Palo Alto. All of those places had a similar root, and the root was that our people came out of that second great migration from the South and from the Midwest to settle and work in the shipyards, and they came to these different places. Now Marin City black population is right at about, oh, 29% and still falling. Mm. And so for me it was like, wow, you know, the I went to this, um, this meeting in Marin County of artists, and the, it was a plan for the county of Marin to kind of address what was going on in the artist community. And I was at that meeting, and, I mean, literally, I kid you not, there was maybe two people of of two people of any other race other than white in that room. Um, there were a few Asian people, uh, two black folks, some Latinos. I mean, it was just very, very, uh, you know, dominant Euro artists. So when I had mentioned Marin City, uh, this man that was one of the facilitators literally ran over to me and he said, oh, I've heard about Marin City. Uh, can you uh, pull together some artists? And I was like, oh, yeah, I could definitely do that. Um, and so Marin City in Marin County has been synonymous with black folks, right, because that's a wink-wink because, you know, they can't always say, oh, can you bring black artists? For some reason, people are just afraid to say that, like it's politically incorrect to, to say your race, mm. right? Um, so it's like, oh, can you put together a group of Marin City artists? And I knew that was a wink-wink for can you put together some black folks. So, yeah, sure, I can do that. <laughs> Um, when I went to, to curate the show, um, I realized that a lot of artists, because of the changing demographics in Marin City, um, there's a lot of, of white people that have moved in. There's a lot of, 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 of um, affluent white artists that, have, that, you know, come from different parts of the country in Mill Valley and Sausalito. And so I knew that if I were really strict about saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to have Marin City artists come to the table. I knew what that would look like. And all of a sudden, it would not be about black artists. So I told the, um, the, the curator, at the, the organizer at uh, the Civic Center, I said, I'm going to be really honest with you. And I just told her what I told you. I said, you know, when I grew up, I know that when you asked me to pull together these artists, you were thinking of black people. And this is the reality of Marin City. And this is also a reality of other communities in the Bay Area, from Oakland to Berkeley to Richmond, our communities are being gentrified. They look a lot different than they did when we grew up in the, you know, 70s and 80s or even 90s. So I want to just say that, yes, this show is going to be, it's going to have our representatives of Marin City artists because there are black artists in Marin City, but I also am going to open it up beyond borders because I'm reaching out to our brothers and sisters in the East Bay that come from a similar route. And so when I wrote the statement, the artist curator statement for the show, it was really about what our shared route was as black people. Um, and the county actually gave us a, re a resolution um, for the show, but also a resolution for the roots of, of jazz and hip-hop and spirituals and gospel and rock and roll and, and the contributions of African-American artists to the fabric of American society. Um, so that's what that show was about, and it birthed, um, it, it, it made our, 
artist collective even stronger in that um, the artists really got it. There were 17 artists in the show, um, several of them from Marin. We had the author Wright, which many people know, the author Wright, who's, who's located in the, in the East Bay. We had Tony B. Conscious, who is a, um, is a street artist out oh, yeah. on, um, on, on Telegraph. He was in the show. Uh, we had Malik Atkins, uh, Orrin Carpenter, who teaches art at Marin Catholic School in Marin County, Zawanda Cook. Um, some of them were also in the art of the African diaspora. Um, uh, so uh, Lumumba Edwards, who was in, in um, speaking of, of being locked up from the last of guests, he was locked up for 48 years. For 48 mm-hmm. years he was locked up in San Quentin, or I'm not sure which place he was in, but he was locked up. But while he was in there, he did amazing art and really kept himself mm-hmm. sane through that process. And um, And so we're working together to get artists that are behind bars, uh, get their art into the gallery now because a lot of times they work with nonprofits. When they sell their art into the public, they don't get that money. The nonprofit gets the money. So they're being almost doubly exploited oftentimes with nonprofits because um, the money's not going, uh, you know, directly to them. I mean, to the defense, the artists are still able to get that, uh, those materials and be able to work in there and have that as their outlet, which is good. But we at, at MC Arts want to give them a vehicle to make some money to get paid. <laughs> so, yeah, from, um, from what know, I, yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard, though, um, um, uh, Sister um, uh, Oshala, is that um, artists can't men you know artists who are incarcerated cannot they can't get the money that's why they have to you know allocate the funds from sales to a nonprofit but what i was thinking is that the nonprofits <laughs> that they're giving the money to um if they had more more choice around what what the nonprofit went to then it could definitely benefit a community that they wanted to benefit um as opposed to um you know community that maybe doesn't address some of the ills that um, maybe facilitated their not being with us anymore. Well, from what Lumumba shared with me is that if the, mm-hmm. if um, they're able to get their art out and mm-hmm. uh, and it's in a, in a gallery, they, they there's arrangements. I mean, there is a way. I'm actually meeting with some people in. Um, you know, there, but there is a way where they can get some of the money put on their account. Um, mm-hmm. There's just some creative ways That's to, good. Mm-hmm. to do it um, where it's really just kind of, again, looking at what Taj is talking about that, like where, where do we find ourselves? Where do we find ourselves in these places of difficulty and how can we actually make it work? And um, right. so there's, there's several different models out there. Um, but I know that our intention 